For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. You betcha. Hats off to Quivin Kelleher in goal for Liverpool, saving three spotters. Beaten Derby County 3-2 in the shootout. Fantastic. The guy goes from strength to strength. We should be also proud of that guy. Uh, you're talking about numbers. Well, Facebook, um, almost 400 Facebook staff in Ireland were given the boot yesterday, sacked, laid off, given redundancy. Call it what you will. Uh, Meta Facebook, of course, axing 11,000 staff worldwide. The figure for Ireland was somewhere between 350 and 400, and it's closer to the 400 euro mark. But the examiner is wondering this morning as, as to whether this is the start of more to come but tech firms in Ireland are saying that they're going to stay put despite the, the job cuts. You've got to worry as well with all of these job cuts, all of the different ancillary businesses that feed into these companies I mean there's even an article in one of the papers today saying that a lot of businesses in Dublin and perhaps to a lesser extent in Cork, I don't know uh, would be uh, supporting them even by way of, you know, drinking coffee or eating sandwiches or getting croissants or picking up lunch in a local deli or a shop. So tech giants have assured the government that they remain committed Committed to their Irish operations despite the layoffs at Facebook and, of course, the story regarding Twitter and Stripe and perhaps more to come. Um, and then targets. Uh, well, you know, uh, in, the, in the private sector, targets can be met. In the public sector, it seems as if they are never met. Like, never. And the Mail this morning says that um, the true figure of the amount of homes that will actually be needed by, say, 2030 is probably um, closer uh, to, well, the, the different figures that they're banding around uh, is an article in the Mail where they analyse that there's a shortfall of up to 65,000 homes. Uh, and any ambition, ambitious targets uh, that they're trying to set are even way short of what they should be in the first place. Uh, so the months that they figured that they needed to build or acquire, because they ain't necessarily building all of them, uh, they also are acquiring them, a lot of different city and county councils, uh, from private landlords and private sellers. The Tawnish then, Leo Varedkar, uh, is open to a pact. If you ever thought that there was a difference in, you know, probably was years ago between Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, well, that difference now continues to be watered down because of coalitions and the same kind of like-minded thinking when it comes to policy and philosophy and what have you. And it takes a one step closer now to the unification, I believe, of Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael into one big party. Now, I know big, uh, you know, supporters of both parties and uh, those that have supported, say, Fianna Fáil all their life would be livid to me even suggest that Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael might amalgamate into one party. But um, there's another indication of it this morning where Leo Varadkar says that the door is open to a pact in the next general election. Like, for instance, that somebody who supports Fianna Fáil might vote for a Fianna Fáil candidate uh, as their first you know, choice and a Fianna Gael one as their second and the same then with the Fianna Gael support, you do the same Fianna Gael first and then vote Fianna Fáil, as opposed to just voting the party that you support. So that kind of a pact goes to show that the coalition is more of a, you know, almost like a, an amalgamation of the two parties, I believe, uh, as time goes on. But I could be proved wrong, who knows? St. Vincent's School made the nine o'clock news there again, and rightly so. More protests. This time, the latest protest makes the front of the Echo Save St. Vincent's, uh, where, they, where they gathered. This is the the parents and indeed the, the children at the front gates of the school yesterday to continue their campaign to keep the doors of the school open uh, next September rather than amalgamating with North Pres. So the status now has been cleared to uh, close St. Vincent's and amalgamate with uh, the North Pres by the Department of uh, Education. But the parents and students um, have been denied any say. And apparently in a paragraph with one of the uh, one of the parents who says, what hurts us so much as parents is the fact that we were never consulted, never considered, 
and nobody posed the thought as to how it might affect us or how they would plan it. Uh, as in, you know, nobody asked those who are you know, stakeholders in this, the parents and more importantly, the students themselves. Now others might say, well, it's really no concern. The students are being taught and we'll teach them where we will. But it seems rather draconian. Um, and also another story on Leaside, of course, is uh, the chronic uh, traffic problems we have across the city and the suburbs. And it's only getting worse. And it will continue to get worse across the system. There's been all sorts of changes to the traffic flow. I get the problems in Dunkettle and slowly but surely that will sort itself out when everything's finished down Dunkettleway. But trying to get through the city or across the city is just an absolute nightmare. Bobby Lynch makes the echo this morning, chairperson of the Cork Taxi Federation. He says drivers just want to see a complete reversal of changes. The changes that were introduced three months ago. And it's not just about not being able to turn right across um, uh, the bridges and what have you. But it's an awful lot more than that. It's the, I don't know, Can you, you, you can't necessarily reverse all of the hugely widened... Um, uh, footpaths, and you can't really reverse and take back all of the cycle lanes, but it's a total and utter nightmare. He says, City Council never sat down and talked to us. Again, this is not talking to stakeholders, not unlike uh, St. Vincent's, like not talking to, uh, well, why would they be bothered talking to motorists? But you think they might talk to taxi drivers, uh, but they never did. They're after creating one big mess altogether. And it's all very well for Cork City Council uh, to be making all of these changes to traffic flow and what have you as people try to navigate into the city or shop in the city, I mean, it must be a nightmare for people in business. It really and truly must because pedestal after pedestal, an obstacle after obstacle put in front of them. I mean, it's all very well for them. They paid 1.6 million. Cork City Council paid 1.6 million euro for 75 rooftop car spaces for staff. I remember that story. It was at the same time. It's a Tommy Barker story from last year. And at the same time as they bought 1.6 million euro worth of rooftop car spaces for their staff, they took out 350 on-street parking spaces for the public. We put up with this kind of thing. I mean, it's absolutely insane. Um, 75 spaces on the rooftop of a privately owned multi-storey car park on Union Quay doesn't really send out a very positive message as we're all in this together, like, does it? Anyway, your thoughts on that are welcome. Text 0868104106. The sale of diesel cars is crashing because, of course, no more diesel cars after 2030. More and more motorists are steering, if you'll pardon the pun, towards electric vehicles. And the papers then, of course, talk of America. Apparently, Donald Trump went absolutely nuts because this red wave didn't... It was more like a ripple, you know? It was more like a little uh, pebble in a pond as opposed to the red wave in the elections. And I mean, I think he's probably still going to announce that he's going to run on Tuesday, but I don't think he's got the wind behind him as much as he thought he would. But we'll have to see what happens there. And our conversations over the past few days with regards to the A&D, which is nothing personal when it comes to uh, the medical staff within the hospitals, certainly not from me anyway. Um, and what are they going to do to make things better? Well, the same problems are happening in the UK, probably scaled up even worse. And so nurses have balloted, I think if I'm right, for the first time in their 106-year formation as a union, they're going to balance, ballot to strike. Well, they have balloted to strike. It's an overwhelming yes to strike for pay and conditions and for patients. So I don't know whether that is what we could be looking at here in Ireland in the not-too-distant future, where nurses uh, will also be balloted and will vote to um, overwhelmingly go on strike if things don't improve for them uh, because we've got to stop it. We have to fix it and we have to have more and we have to pay them better and they have to have better treatment and we have to stop the migration of our medical professions overseas. 
because it's just insane. Um, where we've got nurses and doctors leaving the country and then having to import or bring others in from overseas to do their work. Talking about bringing things back, do you see that story? The Green Party are mad keen to introduce wolves back into the wild. I kind of, I think it's a lovely kind of story in one way because it's, um, it's, it's kind of, of of Ireland as it used to be. Uh, many, many, many years ago when we did have wolves and things like that, when we did have snakes until St. Patrick banished the snake. Of course, the, the wolf is gone. Um, and now uh, a wildlife park up in County Donegal is backing the green proposal to reintroduce wolves into uh, the wildlife. I mean, would it not be a problem, though, if you had wolves and then they were multiplying and multiplying and multiplying? We had loads and loads of them and there were all over the country. Would it not be a problem to wildlife or would it not be destructive to deer or cows or sheep and cattle and things like that? But um, it's a story anyway that seems to be gaining some traction. Um, And your heart would break uh, for Jennifer Aniston, genuinely. Front of the sun, inside pages of the tabloids today, talking about her secret IVF battle. What was awfully unfair on Jennifer Aniston was that much of this struggle to get pregnant through her 30s and 40s was played out in the tabloids all of the time. Uh, And she found that very, very difficult. But you get very honest in an open interview with um, not quite sure which one of the which one of the um, magazines it was, but one of the big, it was a lure actually, if I remember correctly. It was a lure. She gave an interview to a lure where she says she um, she tried for many years to have children and tried IVF many, many times. And she said, I would say through my late thirties and forties, I went through some really hard SHIT. And she says, I tried and tried and tried to get pregnant. Um, it was a challenging road for me. But there's a quote where she says this morning now, that ship has now sailed at the age of 53. But what about, what about the centenarian Sheila O'Regan, who celebrates on Lee's side her 100th birthday? Paul Byrne has a lovely report for Virgin Media News. I'm going to play it this morning. Now, Sheila's originally from Farron. Apparently, she's a lifelong fan of the former Taoiseach and Fianna Fáil leader Bertie Hearn. He sent her a birthday greeting yesterday. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. She's 100 years young. She'll also get a cheque from the president for two and a half grand. She says she never drank or smoked. She exercised throughout her life, walked miles and miles visiting family and friends, even though she never owned a pair of runners. She just got on with it. I don't know whether not smoking or not drinking is the secret to her longevity, but happy birthday, Sheila. A hundred years young with some great photographs making the papers today. But meanwhile, there's a woman over in America in Arizona has a different take on life. And she is Mary Flip from Arizona. I mean, she's 101 years old, lived through the Great Depression, and her secret to a happy long life is drinking tequila (laughs) I mean you never know one stays away and the other sips tequila maybe talks dirty in Spanish I don't know anyway good stories Uh, I'm going to come back to this as well as a really brilliant story of Brian O'Keefe from Cork at the age of 34 he tried all his life to lose weight did everything and anything and nothing was working but he recently dropped in more ways than one dropped he dropped 10 stone uh, and he dropped out by do, to do it right he didn't tell his family um, apparently he just went and spent 7 months in Mallorca secretly transforming his body through diet and exercise and he turned up again then having dropped 10 stone I think it's like I think that's a fantastic story I'm mad keen to talk to him to get all of the detail behind it but the story that makes the mirror this morning well fair play to you from 24 stone 
to what, 14, 13 stone? It's an incredible achievement. But there's a backstory to it. I'd love to hear some more about. And the new John Lewis ad is out. Uh, I'd watch it a couple of times before the penny actually dropped. It's a, it's a, um, a middle-aged man learning to skateboard. Uh, and he's learning and he's practicing and he's falling and he's tripping and he's hurting himself but it's only at the very end of it that it reveals as to why he's learning to skateboard as a middle-aged man because there is a foster child coming to live with him who's a big fan of skateboarding and he wanted to learn how to skateboard so he could skateboard with his foster daughter. It's a lovely, lovely story. A lot of the ads are out now, of course. This is the John Lewis one. Everybody loves the arrival of it. But there's always huge debate as to which was the better and which wasn't. Anyway, text 0868104106. But in the world that we live in, yeah, I got it here. Thank you. In the world that we live in, there are two different stories of interest to me because both of them involve Virgin Media and uh, kind of both of them involve presenters within Virgin Media. Apparently, Murren O'Connell uh, had to uh, apologize when she used the word knackered while interviewing or introducing uh, the comedian Martin Beans Ward, who himself is of a traveller background. Uh, and he was on the television show Ireland AM with uh, Murren and Alan Hughes on Tuesday morning. And I felt so sorry for her because she clearly uh, was rattled by it. Sometimes you say things and they're out of your head and into your mouth and out into the atmosphere before you realise it. Um, but it was genuinely uh, completely and utterly unintentional uh, using the term that she did and you could see uh, that she was uncomfortable having said it and, and by all accounts she is the loveliest person I wouldn't say uh, boo um, but anyway this is the audio from it because she later then felt in you know I guess in the world that we live in now uh, you have to apologise for everything Now Martin Beansford is a stand-up comedian a writer from the Irish traveller community who uses his platform to educate the public on stigmas facing travellers today Recently he added a new string to his bow photographer and he joins us now to discuss his latest exhibition and so much more Martin it's lovely to have you here well, thank you very much. Sometimes when I kind of you know I hear you on the radio I see you on telly I see you doing all these things and I get knackered you do so. <laughs> I'm like, I'm so tired. Now. Ten seconds I'm so tired. I'm so tired. Oh God, I'm tired. I'd be so tired. This is a record for I Ireland didn't think so. I, yeah, today. I, I was expecting it from Alan. No, no, I, I didn't. I'm tired. Oh, so she was. She was shook from that, and uh, it's unfortunate. Thankfully, uh, in fairness to Martin Beans Ward, he laughed it off using the word, because there's a big difference. Pavy Point went, went on then to say in a statement that the use of the term is deeply offensive due to the negative connotations it holds towards the travelling community. I don't know anybody could read that in to Myrna Collins, uh, Myrna Collins saying that uh, she was knackered, as in absolutely tired uh, because this guy does so much she's even tired watching all the things that Martin Beans Ward's done and he got it like I mean he laughed it off in fairness to him but she did apologise for that um, and that wasn't the end of it then none of us um, on the same show then you had uh, Tommy Bow. apparently they were talking about um, the quiet carriages on trains and Tommy Bow's the co-presenter with Murren uh, and there were back in the day quiet carriages on trains and they got rid of them but they're bringing it back now so the quiet carriage option uh, was dropped in 2018 but you can do it all again so that came up in the show as well um, and Tommy Bow uh, had to apologise for a wisecrack apparently about Cork Erin Roderan are set to reintroduce this was the thing that they had before quiet carriages on their Houston to Cork services on a trial basis now these were highly Brilliant. sought after carriages they were scrapped 
because people in the quiet carriages kept on using their phones. Yeah. And it was like, well, what's the point here? Did they not know they were in the quiet carriage? They did, because you'd like book the quiet carriage and they kept and on going on their on phones. Their phone. Yeah. What's so like, people were getting annoyed. Are they stupid. So the. Well, they're heading to Cork. Oh! <laughs> I think we it's a good idea. We do apologise to all our, all our viewers in court. He's only messing. I, I like, I, I don't get, I mean, I, that's more of a bit of fun. Murren I feel sorry for because she got caught in the headlights of something that wasn't intentional. But like, we, we couldn't in any way be upset about being slagged by Dubliners. No. I, I spend my life slagging yeah. Dublin. That's like, the beauty of, I think that's the beauty of this country though that we don't take ourselves have too seriously have a bit seriously. of a slag have a yeah. bit of crack have the banter I like the banter would be a thing of the past you know if we're not careful and it's a pity because like if anything being able to banter with somebody means that it just goes to show that you're not you know once it's done in the right way even know what's it. banter and crack and, 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 it, by, and by by kind of getting rid of that they? you're only creating the division like by having a banter now you're actually breaking down barriers between people by being able to slag each other off and have the laugh I mean, like, imagine, like, if, imagine if we were on the air this morning screaming abuse that we were insulted by Dublin that we were like second class citizens or that we were maybe mentally challenged down here or whatever yeah. like forget about it it would be good publicity not. though mind you if you wanted to you know get a couple I, of I couldn't I'd be a, I'd be a total hypocrite <laughs> if I took umbrage to what they were saying about sure, like my dad, my do it all the time about Dublin my dad is the strongest Cork accent of anybody I know but he was born in Dublin so he's a Jackine and will forever be a Jackine in our home whether he likes it or not that is just the way it isn't we living in a world I have to apologise for everything it's a pity because I, I think watch everything you say that's, I think that creates more division it creates people being kind of afraid of each other as opposed to like, also afraid of how they really feel yeah you know and not being and not feeling like they can express how they really feel about something yeah. I think it's a pity because I think by by uh, you know like the fact that Martin's Beans Ward kind of he laughed, laughed it off and kind of said whatever sure that, that probably made her feel a lot more comfortable about the fact she said it rip the mic off stand up and no. storm out of the studio do a Pierce Morgan on her end he didn't no, do any no. of that he said Knackered is I'm tired. Yeah. Like, it's not offensive. It's not meant to be offensive. But there's lots of things that are said, and it, context is key. I think it's very obvious context to know is, when somebody you're speaking to. Context is saying. key. That yeah. sums up. Because back in the day when I woke, I was getting out of bed in the morning. Mm. Now when I woke, it has a completely different <laughs> meaning, doesn't it? Well, that's from a certain brigade. But I, I think there's a feeling that, um, you know, a y- younger generations are becoming more woke. And all are, I don't, are, yeah, I don't know. Are, yeah. I think we're being, co- I think we're, I think we're becoming more, uh, I, you know, we're, we're more sensitive, I suppose, to things that might make people feel uncomfortable. But that, I, I still think there, there's a, there's a very thick line there between having the banter with somebody and somebody genuinely feeling uncomfortable. A couple of good examples yeah. this morning. Fair play. Okay. Text 0868104106 for your own thoughts on that. Can I just say, actually, because I know we'll be going to calls in a couple of seconds time, but over the last few days, I got some really lovely texts in from people who want to say thank you and also expressing, um, you know, the thoughts with regards to kind gestures that people have been doing. Here is a few of them ahead of the ad break. A big thank you, please, to the guy who handed in my handbag to customer care in Maham Point in Tesco on Wednesday afternoon. I came home without it after leaving it hanging on the shopping trolley. My whole world was in it. Well, that is just a lovely thing that some gentleman came along. Don't know who he is. If we can find who he is, we'll give him a little gift if possible. And he found your handbag on the trolley, handed it into Tesco Maham Point. A beautiful thing to do. And just one or two more while I'm at it. Uh, taxi drivers often get bad press, Neil. My wife and I jumped into a taxi in McCurtain Street Saturday night. 
Mary left her phone in the back seat and so we phoned her number. The taxi guy picked up and said that he would drop it to our house in Douglas when he'd be passing. Sunday morning, he arrived around midday, passed in the phone and wouldn't take a penny. We know he was from Churchfield, but we didn't know his name. May we please say a big thank you. People like him restore my faith in people, says Aideen. So happy to do that. And another one. Hi, Neil. On Monday, I was standing just inside the door at Wilton Shopping Centre waiting for the torrential rain to ease when my eye caught the friendly face of a lady sitting in her car with the flashlights on. You know, her hazards. Suddenly, this young boy came from nowhere and asked me if I'd like a lift to my car because it was absolutely torrential. She was at the door of Wilton. Uh, I was stunned, almost speechless, at the very kind gesture, and I replied, no, thank you. So he ran back to his mummy's car, and they took off before I could thank them properly. Obviously, the lady who smiled at me was his mum in the car. She was driving a silver grey car. My sincere thanks to her and her boy for such thoughtfulness during the awful afternoon and the weather on Monday at Wilton Shopping Centre. That random act of kindness made my day. It says make a hern. So the mammy obviously said to her son, go over there and ask that man if he wants to lift to his car because he'll get absolutely soaked. It was just such a beautiful, beautiful gesture. So happy to update on those. Um, not all of these kind of stories are great news. I heard a disturbing one at the weekend of um, some people who were in Dublin um, socialising. I'm not going to say where they were, but they were certainly in this particularly large pub restaurant social late night venue. And one of them uh, came away without their phone. I believe it was an Apple phone. Now, fill me in if I'm getting this wrong, but I think you can track your mobile phone by downloading an app, but certainly in Apple, you can trace where your phone is. Um, so that's what they did the next day. And it was showing up uh, and beeping in this late bar in Dublin, right? So they went to the late bar the next day and uh, it was open and they went in and they said, look, left the phone and it was it handed in and the staff and management saying, no, nothing like that. They asked uh, the doorman who was on duty apparently that night as well and he phoned no nothing like that and so well it's pinging somewhere here inside in the building um, they said no well you're, can we have a look you can have a look around absolutely no problem and they went all the way around and got closer I, I imagine I don't know how close you can get to the ping um, but uh, it went on and they went through the, 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 the establishment and went through uh, the, the bathrooms or whatever and then continued and for some reason, then, they found themselves close to the staff changing rooms. So I said, can we go in there? And the management said, yes, absolutely. And would you believe that the mobile phone was up behind a roof tile inside in the staff changing room? Um, now, the idiot who put her up there and was hoping that the battery would die or things would die down and they... Because somebody stole the phone, obviously. They forgot to turn it off. So she literally just rang her phone inside in the changing room and it rang up in the ceiling, behind the ceiling tile. So not everybody is kind. Not everybody is honest. Uh, some people just seize the opportunity to make a few bob. The Neil Prendeville Show. Gold winner for interactive speech program at the Imro Radio Awards 2022. Corks Red FM. Don't forget the five-star giveaway. It's worth €10,000, courtesy of ourselves and Sound Store, celebrating the opening of their new electrical superstore at Market Green Retail Park in Mahan. You can scoop a €10,000 prize. Two of the voices have been guessed. Can't tell you which one, but two have most definitely been guessed. 
Uh, both were guests yesterday. So these five voices when I open the phone lines later. I love Corks Red FM. I love Corks Red FM. Identify all five of them. You win 10,000 euro that you can spend in Sound Store in Middleton. To the phone lines we go on this Thursday morning. Nadim, good morning. Good morning. It's a while since we last spoke, my friend. Uh, good, yeah. good, to, good to catch up with you. Uh, just to remind people the backstory, Nadim Hussain, you moved to Ireland in, from India in January of 2019, and people will recall that you were in direct provision at the time, and then yeah. you were refused leave to stay because you lost your application to stay, you lost yeah. your appeal to stay, but yeah. you went on hunger strike, stayed yeah. on hunger strike for nine days. Then the Department yeah. of Justice intervened and said that you wouldn't be deported, so you're allowed to stay. Are you still in direct provision? Yes, I'm still in the prison. You call it prison? Yeah. Okay, so you're still in the direct provision on the Kinsale Road? I'm still in the prison, yeah. Okay, okay, the prison. And do they keep asking you to go? Yeah, one time, you know, before March, I have sent that letter. So some people came from the IPAS and said to me, uh, Hi, Nadim, uh, can you please, uh, you have a status, so you have to move out. I said, okay. Very you have, good. No, it's not a great phone line, unfortunately, again. No. Uh, so they said, said you have status to stay, but yeah. you can't stay here, is it? No, no. He said, you have a status now, you're confirmed. Now you have to move from direct provision. Okay, but you so, do, but you do have to move now out of direct provision to allow somebody else in. You're 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 allowed to stay here, work here, and live here. Yes. So where I'm going to move? Are you working now? Yes, I'm working as a security officer in Little. Okay. 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 So my question was that that where I'm going to live, and that that was my question, and in that case, I meet yesterday. There was a human rights, uh, sorry, Irish Human Rights Commission number one workshop conference was there. I was there. I asked Chief Commissioner the same questions, and she said that she will she will raise this question. The people who are in the direct provision with status, we are trying, we are trying our best to go from this prison. Okay, so what, what are you doing to try and find somewhere to go? Uh, or to, or to house trying, share or something like I'm that? I'm trying draft AIE. I'm trying to look on the internet. I'm trying to, there is a, if there is anything in rent, I'm trying my best. Have you managed to put you, together a deposit and a month's rent and everything like that? I, I can, I can, because I said before also, I'm working, I'm working, I'm working. I want I'm very pleased to pay the rent, but there is nothing I'm getting. Okay, so Ireland didn't turn out to be as much of a dream change of life for you as you thought then? No, it's not about the dream. It's not my own dream. I think this is a dream of every human being who is staying in Ireland to live in a house and to be happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this not not not, not, unlike, not unlike the same plight that many, many, many other people find themselves in struggling. So you're yes. you're not alone there. This is not yes. anything exclusive to you. Yes. yes, I agree for that. But my question is again: Why? If there is a too many empty houses in Ireland, there is no crisis in Ireland. Okay, uh, how much are homeless are in Ireland? How many? How many homeless people? Yeah. 
Oh, there would be uh, many, many tens of thousands of people who are looking for a home, a house, 10, 000, looking yeah, for 10, a flat. 000. Yeah, yeah, ten thousand homeless. Yeah, well, it's probably it's probably higher than that with regards to people who would okay, also be homeless 000. but living with parents. Yeah, I put thirteen thousand. Okay, thirteen thousand is yeah. okay. I'm listening. Yeah, yeah, thirteen thousand there, and with status, maybe it's four thousand or three thousand with status. I'm talking, and then others refugees, but just now on. I'm giving you one date on 27-10-2022 in Dial, Paul Murphy have said the government need to immediate views of 50,000 properties that have been vacant for more than six years. That have been vacant for more than six years, 50 to 60,000. I can them. send you the link and you can see what. Yeah, 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 yeah. So my question is, everybody's saying that there is a housing crisis, but I don't think so. There are 4,000 empty houses in Cork. Would you, have you actually even, have you applied for HAP and everything like that? Yes, I'm already approved. I am in the social list. I'm in direct provision since four years. I'm in the social list of housing list in Cork City Council. Yeah. And but you're on your own. I mean, you, it's not as if you have a family or children with you. You're just, you, no. have, you have HAP for no. yourself as an individual. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, do you do you regret so, do you regret coming here now that things aren't working out well with regards to somewhere to live, having gone through everything you went through? What you said? Do you regret moving now from India back in two thousand nineteen? No, it's impossible for me because now I have papers and I have everything. No, but I'm saying that you went through the process. Direct provision, you stayed there, you appealed, yeah. you lost, you went on hunger strike, you were told you yeah. could stay. Um, yeah. you're, you're still in the direct provision centre. Yeah. You're working, but you have nowhere to live. Yeah, yeah. Be- yeah because if, if everything was fine after paper, I should go to India. Because no, I, was a, I am a genuine refugee, I have a problem. Yeah. Till now, just imagine like this, now I have a paper. I can go to India, I can move because I'm not a liar. I have a genuine problem in India. I can't go India in any cost. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, this is well, called the genuity. Yeah. Because many people who got papers, they are going. You check the immigration, you you're check a the political, You're a political refu- refugee because yes. of uh, membership of the uh, Communist Party of India. I, I, get yes. all, I get all of that. So you, yes. were getting, you were getting grief and harassment over that. But you're being harassed now by direct provision to get out, is it? Yes. Yeah. Because again and again I am saying there are empty houses that are said by the Paul Murphy in recently. There are too many houses are empty. It is like that. See, if they will use that, there will be a no Irish homeless. I'm telling there will be no Irish homeless in Ireland if they use that. I take my word. And then there will be a no homeless problems to the others also. Okay, okay. It, I, it is like I, this. I, I, but are you, are you looking for city council to give you a home? Any houses, I said. I'm looking for city council also because he have written that I am eligible for that. I can send you that later. But you, you do realize that there are people on that list for a decade, 10 years or more. Why? Yeah, why? No, no, Again, I'm saying... I'm feeling, no, why? No, but I know, but they, they, they would be ahead of you on that list and many of them would have, would have children. I'm telling you the same question. Why they are waiting so long? There are empty houses. 
Why? Yeah, yeah. Why they are hiding so long? It is not for me. It is for everyone, are there, every are there, single okay, person. Are there others in direct provision who have also been told that they can stay and that they have won their application and they've got residency, but have sti- are still in direct provision? Yes, because there is nowhere to go. Okay. Are there many there that are still? Yes. Should... Yes, there yeah. are many. Right. Is it full? Yes. I said you, there are many people who are staying in here with status and they can't move or they are trying their best. Yeah, the system isn't working then, is it? If people are coming here for political yeah. reasons, seeking asylum yeah. for yeah. lots of, they're not necessarily political. They're, they're given leave to remain, but they have nowhere yeah. to go. So they yes. stay in direct provision. Yeah. Okay. Because that is not a pleasure. And that is not a thing that we're getting. That is a problem. And, how are, problem. and how are conditions in direct provision in Kinsale Road? What's it like these days? Like these days, things are same as they was before. There's no change over that. In that basis, see... Have you, got your, have you got your own room? No, never. I'm still in the sharing room. How many do you share with? Uh, I share with the one person. Okay. And do you share bathrooms and showers with everything, others? Everything. Yeah. Uh, bathroom and shower, okay. everything. And, uh, I can show you in video. Yeah, I've seen them. I've seen them. I've seen them. Uh, and the food? Food. I don't eat here food. I'm working, so I eat outside food. Oh, you okay. can ask this to, okay. uh, You can ask this uh, to the... Since I started a work, I don't eat here food. You can ask to my manager. Well, where do you, I no, no, man, I, I believe, I'm just curious. But where do you cook your food? I don't, I cook food in the, sometime in the inside or I, I'm, uh, or sometime I eat uh, bread and butter from outside. Right. Or sometime I eat from little, some sandwiches and I'm living, living a life. Well, why don't you eat the food in direct provision if you're still living there? Is it that they wouldn't um, give you the food or what? No, no, it's not like that because uh, the food is, uh, I think, it's not okay. This is my thought. Okay. For me. But it'd be better, surely be to God, it'd be better than bread and butter or sandwiches from Lidl. If, sir, that is not better. That's the reason I'm eating outside. If okay. That's better. So I, why I should waste my money on that? But it would be free food in direct provision. It is free, but I don't eat. That food, because that food, I don't like that food. Okay. I'm telling you. Okay, okay, okay. So, are, are you appealing on behalf of everybody that's homeless? Or are you yes. appealing on houses yes. for people everyone, in direct provision? Everyone, everyone, no. Homes for all, I said. That means homes for all. Because there is no crisis. This is the wrong thing. They are empty houses. And if government wants to do this things they are saying me that yeah we are rebuilding the houses no first thing it's like that you know you are hungry and in fridge you have a a pasta in fridge and you are telling me that yes i ordered a pasta something like that it's like saying you have food but won't eat the food but the food is there the houses yes. are there, they're vacant, yeah. and we don't use the houses. Okay, and wh- when when will will you just stay there, or have they given you notice to go, or will they at no, some no, stage no. move your your things? No, no, they, they didn't give me till now any more notice, because in that case, I have spoken yesterday to Roderick O'Gorman also, sir, 
this is this is happening and this thing is not good because everybody knows that that the problem is now that we don't get anything on rent okay. or yeah. nobody is accepting the hap and this is not only me this is the whole country problem but maybe Even you should have thought of that before you came here in the first place how how i will know that uh, i will how i can know that this is happening to me okay but why pick ireland back in 2019 uh, what you said sir why why did you choose to come to ireland i'm just curious in 2019 why ireland because i said well this was my first country when i entered in here and irish people are very good and there is a humanity country it is under european union so they give asylum so that's the reason i came But do you appreciate it without wanting to be um in any way unkind that the more people that come here thinking that it's a great life and yes. come here and realize that we have a housing crisis is only making things worse. There is no housing crisis. Again and again I'm saying there are houses. There is no housing crisis. Okay. I don't see it. Okay. It's okay. The because uh, again I'm telling just now on 27/10/2022 Paul Murphy said in Dial, the government need to immediately use a 50,000 property that have been vacant for more than six years. Yeah, yeah. That time in six years, I was not uh, in here. Yeah, I know, but we did have, we we still had a, a crisis before you came. It's an awful lot worse now. So I understand but, that. But in here, it is saying before. It, but in fairness, than, yeah, in fairness, yeah. you are you are working. It's not yes. as if you're claiming welfare payments, no, being able to no, work and refusing no. to work. You yes. are working. Yes, I am working. Yeah, I yeah. didn't take any social welfare since I'm in here. Before I said I'm giving also taxes. Yeah, I'm also a taxpayer. Yeah, in here. Yeah, yeah. And sorry. again and again saying that there is no housing crisis in Ireland. I can speak, and this thing I'm going to Geneva. Very soon, I am going. My next step will be go to Geneva to the United Nations High Commission office and ask them where there is a crisis. There are so many houses empty. Okay, are you going to the protest on Saturday? Yes, I am. All right, the Cork one or the Dublin one? Dublin one. Okay, okay. Okay, listen, uh, stay in touch. Might be an yes. idea for you to run for local politics, maybe at some time in the future. We never know. You never know. Okay. All right. Stay in touch, Nadim. Good to catch up. Yeah. Take care for now. Text 0868104106. An interesting perspective on things. Uh, you can also pick up the phone on 0818104106. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818104106. Cork's Red FM. Okay. Well, it's certainly Nadim looking at it through others' eyes, isn't it? 7,000 homes are vacant across Cork City and County. 7,000. That's the latest figure that's been released from revenue 3000 of these have been lying empty for at least 12 months. It's absolutely insane. The homeless figures of course are also climbing as much as the vacant properties continue to climb and it shows 166,000 vacant properties nationally. Um and uh, 48,000 of those 166 empty properties have been empty for six years. They're not all public authority houses. They certainly are not. Many of them are private, but you got to wonder why. Um, you got to wonder why. You know, other things that are empty, just to clarify this, because we've been talking about uh, Heather House Community Nursing uh, Home uh, recently, and somebody said to me that it was, you know, brand new, but it was still empty. And then somebody else says, no, there are people in Heather House. 
and there was a bit of confusion in between. Of course, there's the original Heather House and then there's the big new part that was built on. That new part that was built on is not open. It is still empty. Here's an example of that. I just got out of my car to go into the older part of Heather House where their people are staying. And I can assure you that the new part is not open. It is a beautiful building. It is state of the art. It's the most beautiful building. My ma'am is in the older building, which is also a lovely building, but no comparison to the new one, obviously. I watched this building from the first block being laid. I watched all the palaver with Michal Martin, and it's still just sitting there. They just can't get staff. It's plain and simple. They can't get staff, so therefore can't open it. They had all the usual problems with health and safety, but believe me, it's not open. They are hoping it will happen maybe in February next year. Sadly, I will only be coming here for another few days as my parent is at end of life. And my whole reason for texting is to say that the staff in Heather House are amazing. Obviously, I can't come on air, but I would appreciate my message being read out. We hear too often about dreadful treatment of elderly, but they are so respectful and thoughtful to each patient in Heather House Community Nursing Unit. Uh, and that is up in, uh, isn't it up uh, Gronorahway, I believe? But there's a brand new wing to it that still remains closed. Why? Because they can't get staff. And it leads me along then to uh, a lot of conversations we were having of late with regards to um, our, our hospital, um, well, our, was our hospital system in one way, but certainly the A&D uh, came in for a lot of attention. And it's not about criticising uh, the staff, whether it's, you know, nurses or doctors or porters or sanitation and cleaning staff or, uh, you know, the, the catering departments in various aspects of the hospital. Uh, but just a selection of that. Uh, you should ask, well, I had a nurse on yesterday trying to do her best to defend as much as she can. But somebody suggests no matter how you try to defend, you cannot defend a wait of 39 hours in the A&D. It's down to not enough doctors, not enough nurses, because that can be fixed with money, can't it? Uh, yes, it can. Yes, it can. But others are suggesting that there's a way around the, um, you know, the amount of nurses and doctors that are leaving uh, Ireland. With the ad for nurses on Instagram about nurses to go overseas, shouldn't the government sign something if you avail of a grant like a Susie grant that you must work within the HSE for a period of time or you must pay back the entire grant? At least then we would hold on to some Irish nurses for a period of time and their training would be paid by the state so it wouldn't all be in vain. Thank you for that. I'm a nurse. I also worked in the A&D in CUH for years. I ended up choosing not to work there any longer. We all know what to expect for waiting times, but as an employer, the HSE are a disgrace. In any other job in the world, this would not be accepted. Address the working conditions and the bullying culture in the HSE and promote safety care. Uh, I stayed because my fellow nurses, because of my fellow nurses, but ultimately I left as I no longer wanted to work in a culture and environment that is deplorable and soul-destroying. Thank you for that text. Uh, if I was chatting with you, I would talk to you a little bit more about the uh, bullying culture within the HSE. So if you feel free to share more on that, you know, working conditions and the bullying in the HSE, I would like to hear from you by text. I will never give out any of your private information. Text 0868104106. Very simple way of sorting the nursing crisis in Ireland. Hospitals take on nurses and pay for their training and pay their wages. They sign a contract and if you leave within a certain period of time after qualification, you must repay all of the money to the hospital. The ambulance service, you know, is training people for the very same thing. And indeed, the Gardaí. 
um, and all this needs to change. Uh, um, I don't hear so much of Gardaí going overseas to become police officers overseas, but perhaps it does happen. Foreign nurses are on a higher wage than Irish nurses. They use it as an incentive to get them to come here in the first place. So thank you for all those. We'll pick it up after 10. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Okay, I'm just coming back to issues earlier on this morning. I was talking about traffic and gridlock. Uh, There's some interesting statistics that have been made available. I started this conversation earlier talking about, uh, you know, the decisions that City Hall makes that really don't impact on them as much as it impacts on the general public because they have spent uh, quite an amount of money buying up car spaces for staff. There was an article recently from the property editor, the examiner, Tommy Barco, where he said the Cork City Council paid $1.6 million for 75 rooftop car spaces for their staff. They bought the spaces. At the same time, they took out 350 on-street parking spaces from the public. Now, what happened to that space, you might wonder? Well, the 350 spaces um, were probably used for cycle lanes and then to double the widths of footpaths. Uh, I know, uh, I I don't get it. But when you look at the amount that um, uh, City Hall actually owns, uh, it's broken down like this. They have um, 255 spaces available. They own 100 at a basement level of the multi-storey car park next to the City Hall. Uh, They have 40 spaces on the roof of uh, the car park facing the Elysian on Eglinton Street. They have 40 other spaces adjacent uh, to St. Joachim and Anne's site on Anglesey Street. Um, And they at one stage even had more down at uh, Navigation House on Albert Quay where they had free parking spaces up until 2017. So you total it all up then, it comes to a total of uh, 255 parking spaces for staff. Now it's not enough for all of the staff. I understand that there's 1,500 of them. Uh, but when you break it down, uh, it's a fair old chunk of change while they're taking public spaces away. Meanwhile, when you look at the amount of time that people have to spend uh, on the streets of Cork stuck in traffic, but apparently Tuesdays are the worst day in Cork to get caught up in traffic. Um, also, Friday evenings between 3 and 4 p.m. is the absolute peak nightmare for those in cars. Try and get across the city on a Friday afternoon. You're not going to get there anytime fast. In fact, they have broken down the data to say that in Cork, you're spending 109 hours or four days and 13 hours lost by people sitting in their cars in rush hour traffic. And I asked, is that per year or in a lifetime? And they tell me it's per year. 109 hours or four days and 13 hours sitting in cars in rush hour traffic if you have to do traffic every day of the working week. I mean, it's absolutely insane. Uh, and spare a thought then for bus drivers. More on that after the break. The Neil Prendeville Show on Courts Red FM. Two-time gold winner at the Imro Radio Awards 2022. Uh, for those that are working, uh, driving our buses, a couple of interesting emails on this. One is from a passenger in a few minutes' time, but the other is from a bus driver. Just like to highlight a few things regarding bus air and Neil. People are constantly complaining about late buses, rude drivers, buses not turning up, dirty buses, etc., But from a driver's point of view, every day without fail, I am abused by passengers. On a few occasions, I've been spat at. Luckily, the driver screen stops that. I am with Bus Aaron less than one year, so not appointed yet, which means I can be let go. After one year, you get appointed, which means I'd have more rights and benefits, like a doctor's card or a pension plan. 
Now from my rant. The rubbish on buses is left by passengers, including used sanitary towels stuck to windows and used nappies left behind on seats. Buses are late because we have to sit in traffic like everybody else. I am a total people person. I always say hello, good morning, good night, etc. But when someone is rude to me, saying things like, I'm waiting 20 minutes, or you, B-A-S-T-A-R-D-S, are all the same, they won't get a polite answer from me. I like the job, but it's changed me as a friendly person. Now I wait for them to be friendly before I do. Isn't that interesting? He kind of, he or she judges the passenger before he's friendly. Um, There is some amount of passengers that use the free passes, or should I say, take advantage of them. For example, the companion pass is ridiculous. They meet a buddy at a stop and they just say, get on with me, so they don't have to pay. Some even sell their free passes. They are picture ID, but most uh, most face the photo down on the scanner. I've seen one passenger with three passes in her wallet, none of which were hers, but I have no right to question it. I'm not including carers or the elderly in this rant as they're entitled to free passes, but those that accompany, those that complain most, they never work and probably never worked, but yet they're the ones to complain the loudest. A few times I've said to apply to bus Erin, all you need is a B category license and a provisional D license. Um, Oh, I see what you mean. Well, a few times I said, I've said to apply. To, I don't quite follow that. You, you obviously are able to drive because you have the right license. But, oh, he's saying I constantly tell other people to apply. We're seriously short of drivers doing what we can and putting up with this kind of crap from the public every day. Kind regards, a driver can't come on air for obvious reasons. So a lot of the issues, apart from the traffic and the lateness of the buses, has just got to do with the people who are using the buses. Um, This is just one example of name-calling of bus drivers, actually, because I have another lengthy email from somebody who was on the 215 bus heading to Cork City uh, on Wednesday evening, and the treatment of the driver was deplorable. So more on that in in a few minutes' time. But back to the phone lines we go. Jerry, good morning. Morning, so I'll come back to that in a minute. There is a there are cost of living protests on Saturday afternoon all over the country. There's even one yes. on the Grand Parade. Would you be there? Uh, unfortunately, I say no because of health issues. Okay, all right. Okay, you need to mind right. yourself. Well, yeah. well, I thank you. I, I want to make the point regarding the protest. Uh, the protest will take care on the Grand Parade. I don't know if they're going to City Hall or not. But in the event, yeah, I class that as a waste of time because there's nobody in the building, number one, right? Yeah. And I think that it's high time now that... And if there was, they wouldn't come out anyway. Yeah, yeah. It's high time what? Yeah. It's high high time that international media were uh, summoned about this, invited to Ireland... See Jerry, exactly Jerry, 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 if there was a protest in Cork on Saturday afternoon, even RTE wouldn't cover it. Never mind international media. Yeah, well, media there would have to be a protest in Dublin. Because, yeah, because the RTE, well, there's a protest taking place in Dublin. They might film that, but they, I don't yes. they bother with us. But they should be, it's quite that, that our Irish politicians are showing up and let, let Europe see what a country we really are. Right? Right? Yeah. And it's high time that our MEPs, that when they go back to the meetings in Europe, that they will fall under their desk with embarrassment. 
our politicians are not being embarrassed into anything. Well, we did have a CNN journalist come to Ireland and went around and spent some time in Cork, and that got international coverage. He wasn't well, all that complimentary about Cork at the time, if I remember correctly. Yes, fair, fair enough. Look, I'm a Cork man, I'm proud, but the thing is, our politicians are not doing what they're being paid to do. Yeah. Right? You take Michael Martin or Taoiseach as an example. He's flying all over the world. He was in Egypt, right? For, for, for COP27. For these years. Yeah. He's now in London. The week before, he was somewhere else. A couple of months ago, he went to Japan of all places, right? And rather than his job, is to, his priority is to look after Ireland and its people. And he is not doing that. So right? who would he, do he, it? He, who would do he, it? Well, that's what he's paid to do. That's his job, right? It's like the COH, Neil, right? I have first-hand experience. I have an ongoing issue with the COH, which has gone... Uh, it's not gone legal yet, but it could do, right? Well, it'd, be, it'd be hard for me to talk to you about it if you're pending legal action. No, I, don't, I won't talk about it, right? But I first-hand experience, and I'd be willing to meet you any time of the day or night and show you six pages, foodscap pages, of my formal complaint that I sent in. All right, well, I'm happy to look at that off here. I understand, yeah. I understand yeah. all that. Yeah. But what, what's, look... We have Listen, you have, you have politicians, you have politicians, I know, but I, I, if you want to talk generally about the COH, fine, but not about your own case, you know? That's why I understand all that, I just make it that point. The point I want to make regarding the COHs and the HSC, right? There are people in the, in the HSC and the COH are being paid exorbitant salaries to run a company, if you like, we call as a company, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm okay with right? that. Right? Yeah. Okay? Yeah. So, if they were in the public sector, Neil, they'd be fired straight away. Right? Yeah. If they were in the private sector, but they're, they're in the public sector and their attitude is, what well, we can't be fired. You see, there was a nurse there a while ago sent me in a, an email that spoke and she left yes. it because of intimidation and bullying within the HSE. Yes, I believe, I, I believe it. Yeah, because why? Because, because why? Th- th- these people are safeguarding their own jobs by bullying other members of staff. The same thing goes on in, in the private industry. But if you look right? at our, okay, but if you look at the political structure, the news this morning now is Leo Varadkar has said that they would be happy to do a vote pact with Fianna Fáil. Don't know how Fianna Fáil mean, feel about it, which means that Fianna Fáil voters would also vote Fianna Gael and Fianna Gael voters would also vote Fianna Fáil just to get them back into power. Because that's all that matters to them. Neil, is staying in power. Neil, Neil, you're the wrong. You're you're long to talk like myself, right? You know well. I'd even go back to a certain Labour politician, Pat Rabbit. He made a statement on television, and he said at the time, "You go out, you tell the biggest load of lies." Right, you can think of to get elected. Our words to you that promise, effect. Yeah, yeah. Our words to that effect. You promise to people everything when you get elected, and people say, "Come here, what about this?" Or oh, I done my very best. They would pass it in Dublin. Yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Come up right? with an excuse. Yeah, yeah. They Blame somebody else. Yeah, yeah. But how different is it now from when you were young, though, in Cork? 
I think it's terrible. It's a disgrace. But it was very I, tough I, way back in the... I don't know what decade you, said, you grew up in. Well, I was born in 1953. Right, right? okay. I, I grew up in this Cox City centre, in the centre of Cox City. Right. And I can tell you here and now, there were the days when we, we all had nothing, but we had everything. If a person was lucky to have a car, they could leave their keys in the car. People, I remember when I went to the Northman, people, uh, I used to have to walk a good distance to go up to the Northman, and people had their keys on, in their door and a string coming out the letterbox. That's remember the way that? it used to be in Madden's buildings. It was on a piece Correct. of twine. You it just was put your hand in the letterbox and you pulled out Correct. the key on the twine. That's correct, right? Yeah. So, I, I, you know, I, I but was people, always but, strong. There, but there was, wages weren't great, particularly if you were there, in the building were, line and stuff me, like that. We didn't um, have all, we didn't, listen, back then, if you wanted something, you saved for it. Right? We didn't have all the gadgets, like mobile phones, uh, Netflix, yeah, I know, but they would have said that before the car came along, and they would have said, "I mean, who would want to go back to the days when you didn't have washing machines that you plugged into the wall or or tumble dryers?" And I remember my mother bait foolish up against the sink with a ringer and like getting her hands caught in a mangle and all. Oh my god, who'd want to go back to those days? Dave, I not said anybody should, right? My father died when I was uh, a very young child, three, just over three years of age. And my mother took in students because we had a big house, yeah. right? Yeah. And at one stage, there was 18 students in the house. My mother washed, cooked and learned for all of them. What kind of just students me. were they? Were they like, what, what, what college were students? College students. At UCC, yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Michael D. Higgins was in my house when he, when he was going to college. Was he? And, and your man, uh, did he have digs uh, in your house? He did? Yes. No, he did, but he was he was friends of some fellas that stayed there. Right, yeah. And uh, Dimples O'Deary, as we call him. God, God bless the man, Michael O'Leary. Was he Michael O'Leary? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ex That's right. He used to be there as well, right? He yeah. used to be taking cows and... So there wasn't, stuff, right? um, there wasn't a, a, people felt safer. Okay, we've, 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 we've seen that. People you saved you for walk, things they wanted. You could walk, you could walk into town, any street, down any lane where, and you wouldn't even think about somebody attacking you. Okay, you wouldn't have a, a girl going down the street with the, with the key stuck between her knuckles for, for protection, for instance. No, But, but no, wh- no. How did it, why did it get so bad then, do you think? Because, because I tell you why, Neil, I remember there was a girl at the Bridewell who was a big, big man. He had a gatch. He used to swear when he was walking, a right? Gatch, a great word, isn't it? Gatch. Right? Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> <coughs> Excuse me. That's the way. That's the way he 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 patrolled it around. We say from the Darkey Bridge, we say down in all around the city centre. And if you saw him coming against you, right? Because he had a reputation of being a, a big man, right? Mm. <laughs> More than one. Yeah, all right. right? Didn't take any you nonsense. You you crossed the street, right? But and at some stage, then a generation came along. And change the way yes, they the raised their children. Help us, the should God help us brigade came along. Well, we didn't have it, but our little Johnny and our little Mary will have it. Right? Okay? Yeah. And that was, that's, that's a big part of the problem. Another part of the problem was taking away uh, a bit of punishment 
out of the schools, right? Okay. Nah, I to, you know, having been a victim of it myself, and I don't know whether you were or not, I wouldn't. I was. I, yeah, I, I wouldn't have ever want to wish it upon my son or daughter. To be honest with you now, because well, I time, tell you, no, I tell you, Neil, a lot of the time mammals, it was cruel. Um, it was. There was no it need was. For it. it was. It no, was. But, uh, listen, there was a brother in the north man. He had a big leather, and inside the middle of the leather, he had lead. He was known as the smiling killer. Yeah, but that, that was, was his nickname. Yeah, that was that's just that's cruel now. That's absolute well, cruelty. Call it, call it cruel, but you know, it's like in the island man or in Jersey. But anyone that would, the, I know, I know, I won't name the person. I know, I know the different brothers there and the lay teachers and some of the. Um, like you talk about it, leather with uh, with lead in it. Uh, others had coins in them. Others had sticks yep. and batons, and others used a belt. Oh, yeah. Um, yep. They they had they had they they had problems. They were the people with the problems, not the not the boys in the class. Like, well, if you if you stood out a line, Neil, right? If you stood out a line in the class and you were you were acting there, you know what, right? Well, you deserved no one to stop in the class. Yeah, right? I know, I know. But like, there were. To- I remember there was a few occasions that I recall really bad beatings, uh, and I, oh, I, was, I recall was, I recall one was, teacher using a wooden dust- duster, the wood yes. side of the duster, and I smacking it. Break, I saw a teacher break. Uh, what you call that thing? That big long thing for the bev, just for the cross the board. Uh, off it, off his pupils back one well, day. Yeah, and and another then used the back of a wooden duster full force into oh, yeah. the back of the head. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I so know. who wants who wants that? Like said, that was a that no, was a no, that was I'm a free for all. I'm not saying we should have that. Type. No. I'm not saying we should have that need, right? But there is there is no no. You ask teachers, right? And ask them of the abuse they get from pupils. There are some fantastic pupils out there, fantastic teachers. But today, crime pays, right? Monkey does what monkey sees, right? We have no law and order, right? If, if you remember when the guards turned around and the city council said they were putting in CCTV into every street and court. And we'd be an awful lot safer. There'd be no messing or anything. And they took the streets off the guard. Or off, they took the guards off the streets. They put them into squad cars, right? Mm. Okay? And they reduced the numbers. Now, I guarantee you, you're going to pass, you're going to town tonight and start the fight in the side in the middle of the city. Yeah. How long will it take for the guards to arrive? I can't say with any amount of certainty. It can vary time-wise. It depends on the availability and where the squad yeah, cars are. Yeah, they, de- they won't be there in five minutes. And, and yet they're looking at it on the screen, saying Nangles is right. Ah, yeah, but, you know, let's not engage law in, gar- order, let's not engage in guard bashing. They're not intentionally just sitting I'm around not, doing I'm nothing. I'm not guard bashing. No, it's not the girl's fault. It's at the top. Everything comes down from the top. Mm. Monkey does what monkey sees, mm. right? Mm. Our law and order is gone by the board. I remember when I was a young fella, if you were walk, if you were going down the street, yourself and your buddy, and you hit a football, you were kicking it just one another, and a girl came along, right? He'd tell you, pick up the ball and don't be playing on the footpath. 
I, I, especially if it was inside and told, right? Yeah. You'll be told, go somewhere else. There's plenty of green spaces. Name two other points I want to make. Yeah, I just just if on I, the point there, uh, like the last thing you want people in, like if you went back to some of the days you're talking about, I'm not going to labour the point, you'll never teach children if they're afraid of you. You'll never teach children oh, if they're living in fear. I, I, they, I, I, and and also, they oh. won't be able to take anything in because they're just in fear in a classroom of a fella. I, I, I appreciate and accept all that. But, you see, parenting today, Neil, is totally different right. today yeah. to what it used to be. OK, and you right? just want to make one or two final points. Quick points, right. In relation to the housing, right, I was told that there is a company in Cork City who have a contract with Cox City Council for renting the, bo- the boardings and the border up houses at 50 euro a week. Is that true? No, I don't, I'm, I don't know anything about that. How would, well, that, how would that work? Well, somebody moves over a house, right? Yeah. The house needs to be boarded up to protect it. Yeah. And there's a company, apparently, though I can't swear on the Bible is true, right. but... I have been told by a few people that this company turns around, they go to such one, two, four, wherever, yeah, yeah. wherever, right? And they board up the, they have the board, they supply the boarding and they charge the council then 50 euro a week for the boarding. Oh, well, that, that wouldn't surprise me that there would be a fee involved. Yes, yeah. but that is disgraceful and a waste of taxpayers' money. Yeah. yeah right? Yeah. So another, another issue I want to make is, you're on there about uh, millions being spent for staff car parking, right? Yeah. Coxie, you know the bride well, well. Yeah, I know the area. I was only cycling down yeah. the other day by the old women's toilet. Yeah. Yes, correct. Yeah. No. All boarded up. Bride, yeah, all, all boarded up and shabby looking and everything, right? Right next to the bride, the bride well in Kyle Street, you have uh, a big yard. It was known as Parker's Yard. Wasn't that a big, huge timber yard, wasn't it? Correct, it was. And the Cox Slay Company, I think it was called as well. Yeah, yeah, I know it. Right, that spreads right back over to Dunn Stores, where Dunn Stores were in the North Main Street, right? Yeah. That's that's a big, massive area, and it's a huge area. It's idle since 1978. And you can tell that it is because it's seriously dilapidated. Big, oh, huge area. Out, yeah, it's massive, right? Yeah. Okay. And I know that for a fact because my grandmother used to live in, in that street. Go away. Yes. And I had, I have... Do you remember uh, that? I, do you remember when she was oh, living there? I do, I do, I do. I do well. And I can tell you now, right, I have proof that the city council took that over in, 1970, in the 70s and it's idle since. God Nothing almighty, if that's true, what a, wa- what a waste of space. Hold on there what? a second, hold on a second, don't go anywhere, come back after the break. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now, 86 8104 right. Red FM. Lots, of bu- lots on bus drivers and bus passes, incidentally, I'll come back to it in a few minutes' time. John, did you want to jump in on some of the observations Jerry was making? Yes, indeed. Um, first, I think the one I really got my back up this morning is I agree with a lot of the stuff, and I'll get that in a second. But I actually almost say that we should go back to some form of discipline, physical discipline in the schools, I think is an outrageous comment. Because my generation and many more people that I know in this city, like, I mean, thousands of people, like, would have got a better standard of living, right? And they, their family would have came up higher again than the next lot coming up. 
if we weren't beaten in schools, verbally bullied and physically bullied and schools. And I thought I'd never get out of school. And I guarantee there's people my age out there nodding their head this morning, Neil, right, and saying, yeah, I, I agree with that. And we would... would because of be, cruelty, that, is it? Because of the beatings? Yeah, yeah, because we weren't actually hated going to school. We hated the brothers, say. I mean, I see the kids going to school in the morning, no. I mean, they're hopping and skipping up the road. Like, I see the secondary lads going and the secondary girls, and they're all laughing and joking. I mean, there's no fear. There was fear that time of actually going into class with certain people teaching, right? Fear, pure 100% fear. People were getting sick in the morning in the pit in their stomach going in when you would know that you were dealing with a certain teacher or a certain brother. Yeah. And I yeah, mean, I can't uh, argue with what, that, what yeah. happened is that there's a, that generation of people were lost as a girls getting on and, give, and getting contributing maybe more to society, contributing to their own life and their family life and get a better job. Why did parents, tolerate, why did parents tolerate it knowing that their kids were going to school in fear of particular teachers who were just evil. Because, you see, they, they, they went through the same thing themselves and unfortunately the mentality was out there. She looked at other reason and I suppose to don't do many harm. The same as people clattered their kids before. They wouldn't dream of doing that now. You know, okay. parents uh, hurting their children. Like, But I mean, to, to, to come along and say like... I but mean, it's that, now the teachers look, are the ones that are getting the grief though. It's the teachers have to mind everything they say and do. It's the, it's the teachers, not from all of the students, but are getting the abuse or the cheek or the back well, answering well, that, or in that, some that, cases that. the physical abuse nurses are getting it verbally yeah. abused well, that's physical that's right. abuse I, mean, are you, are you, I agree with your caller there and he said like you mean that as a gas, you could walk through town and everything they're coming out of dancers and everything girls and blokes you could walk home and you wouldn't be get you know what kicked out here whatever yeah. but now there, you there do now you're in fear of any of that you are but you're worried like about a son or a daughter who might be out or look at somebody the wrong way or well, you see that, 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 that stone to the Neil, I laid that at the door of Helen McEntee. Ah, well, I mean, that's ha- fine be going on about politicians, but it's all about, it's societal is the problem. And back years ago, when there was a bit, I suppose that's what Jerry is saying, when there was a bit of uh, uh, physical, uh, you know, you could call it abuse, I suppose it was. Well, in, in the cases I know of, there were abuse and there were evil people. But a few, a few slaps didn't do anyone any harm. There was, but you see, listen, I mean, if you talk to people, like, I mean, that were taken in, if you were going through town, this is the other side of it, like, the town was policed away better, but unfortunately, like, if you were going home and you had a few drinks near there, sometimes, I mean, you would be brought in for being drunk and disorderly, and you might be wandering around the road, right, and you got a few slaps and you were brought into certain guard stations here in town. I know many people that that happened to. The guards said that they wouldn't dream of doing that, like, so, I mean, that wasn't right that they, would, that they would bring someone who was just drunk into a cell and beat them. Oh, yeah, give him a few classes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for no, no apparent reason. No, just to have a bit of fun, you know. I know, I know, I want, I know. One, one girl. I mean, there was this happened only going back about thirty years ago, like when there was a great landscaping in a certain part of. Uh, well, I don't want to know any of the details of any one particular garden. No, no, no. But case. the thing is, like, uh, but but just you only hear one side of the story. What if your man was drunk inside and he kicked off? Well, you see, the thing is, like, what they would do that in me, because, like, there was very little crime, there was no drugs or anything in the 70s. Well, you can't and accept that guards were bringing people into cells and saying, come on, we're going to give them a hiding. No fair. Oh, I mean, you'd be pulled in off of the streets. I know a lot of the t- people that were pulled in off of the streets, and they were just wandering around. They were pretty drunk, whatever. But you get a few slaps in and say, like, for a bit of crack, you know what I mean? <laughs> That's hard to believe, like... <laughs> Well, I know it happened. I guarantee you, <laughs> it is. I, I know when there was a guy. There was a guy there, a friend of mine, and he observed uh, two girls. Let's come back. You were three years ago now again, trying to get a guy into the car, like him in, and they just 
kick them and kick them and kick them to get them into the car. No, no well, I don't you can't you... be kicking people. I mean, there's one, there is, no. there is, there's a thing called resisting arrest by kicking somebody yeah. into the car. But this guy, this guy didn't seem to be resisting arrest. All right, arrest, okay, right? okay. But well, let's let's see if anybody has any opinions on that. But let's get back, Jerry. What do you, what do you do? You want to respond to that? Sorry, yeah, sure. Um, well, I agree with some of the stuff uh, John has said there, and uh, I just make one issue there to uh, highlight one issue. I had uh, a relative, a female relative, who was a teacher, and she reprimanded uh, a young one in the class for not having her exercise done and having the sloppy copy book and all this kind of thing, and you know, and. Uh, she gave out to the old one. She couldn't put her hand on her, her chest eyes off, but she gave out to her. And the old one, who was about, I think, eight or nine at the time, told the teacher to F off. And your problem is you only got married recently and you mustn't have had sex last night. And the eight-year-old so, said that to the teacher? Yes, yes, yes. yes. The eight-year-old said that? yes. Well, you see, that to, that to tell you what kind of a, a home life she must be listening to at home and the comments at home or whatever, but, because... But that's the point I'm making, John. You see, yeah. society, you... I don't know what age you are, right? That's your own private business, right? I'm 70, yeah. OK? Yeah. I I'm went to the the North yeah. Mom was known as a tough school to go to. Tough, tough, right? tough, tough, yeah. tough, tough, tough. And yeah. it was tough. Yeah, it was tough. There, there were some tough characters there, and there were some serious teachers yeah, yeah. and brothers there. Yeah. We'll all accept that. And that we, we know, we know of some of them that ended up before the courts and prosecution and, and, and jail for that, right? child yeah. abuse. Yeah. Right? Now, the reality of life today is, in my book, right? Parents today, they give their children everything, no. They have to have it, no, right? I saw an example a number of years ago with a young fella about, he was seven, I think, at the time. His mother had bought him a new pair of runners, right? I don't know, they were branded, right? And within about a week, there was uh, some newer runners came out, okay? And I personally saw that young fella sitting on his bed, in his bedroom, trying try to tear the sole off his new runners so his mother would buy him the newer ones. Right? And you see that? But that's an example of pressure that. that kids are under from other kids then, to have the best of everything, the new phone, yeah, the new runners, the latest but Nike. But the kids' fault, the, the people yeah. over here of the world know well, I agree with you there, Neil, because, like, I mean, the, the, the example should be said, like, if he damaged the, the bloody runners, that was hard on then the money was hard, was, was fucked out for well, it. He might be getting like, grief from the other kids that his runners well, I mean, are just up be, to date or as modern as well, the well, 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 tough, like, I mean, he should be taught, look, I mean, these are the runners you've got now, this is what we can afford. We can't be affording to buy every new brand that comes out every second or third week. But like, that's I mean, the pressure the parents are under, unfortunately. A lot of it is marketing but, and advertising, but, and you see it uh, in social yeah. media, and the kids well, I, I, I agree. I, I, this is where I do agree with Jerry here. Outside of what he said about the school thing is that, like the, the word "no" does exist still in the vocabulary. Like you know what I mean. But now we have we have a society where nurses are being attacked, spat at, physically abused, bullied in the workplace. All. We have bus drivers that are getting called names, being spat all at wrong. on buses. All wrong. What's all wrong. All wrong. Like, like, I read one out there from he, a bus driver a while ago. I'll give you another example of a bus. 
somebody travelling on the 215 and what the what but, you what you see near the problem the, the what prob- she the saw pro- the bus driver putting up with is beyond yeah. shocking like. but the, pro- the problem there again you see outside the parental guidance and everything like the courts are not dealing properly with people and they only get a slap and there is so many times that we've seen people with 80 and 120 convictions and they're still walking you heard that 30 years ago I heard that 40 years ago yeah and you'll keep on hearing her unfortunately because there's no social workers there there's the families that are in crisis nobody seems to be addressing it I mean when John Lanigan the, the, the governor of Mount Chai as long as he was governor of Mount Chai imagine you listen to this like when I heard this man saying it I said Jesus where are we going no minister as long as he was there as the governor of Mount Chai no justice minister ever visited the prison and he said he's seen three generations of people coming in. The grandfather involved in crime, the, his, the son involved in crime, and the grandson. And the grandson, right? he did say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The problems yeah. here are so huge, though, that those that are supposed to address them, they're too big for them, so they pretend that they don't exist. They're in denial. Let me give the last word to this on Ger- to Jerry, though. Jerry, because you started the yeah. conversation. Go for it. Sure. Yeah. Well, as I said, Jerry, I'll sorry, Neil, uh, and John Rice. As I said, monkey does what monkey sees, right? I know of a case years ago where a certain gentleman who had a family, he was married, had kids, and all the kids were given colour TVs for their bedrooms so that the husband and wife could go off all drinking and join themselves. Uh, yeah, but right? who was, who was so, paying for that? Was it a working family? Oh, yeah, well, this man was a businessman. Yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose right? it's his money, he's entitled to spend it as he wants to. Well, he is, but is that right? It's not. To lock your children into a room with a, with a television and they're going off all drunk and getting drunk for the night <laughs> and on a regular basis. All right. And he, uh, like, as I keep saying, right, what's wrong today is... We have a, a, we have uh, modern parents today, right? I have children, I have grandchildren, and like the word "no" doesn't exist. Okay, but you're still an advocate of slapping kids in classrooms, though, are you? I, I not said slapping them. They don't have to be slapped. They have to be spoken to, and they could maybe a slight bit of punishment maybe give extra homework to do, right? Yeah, but them. you have a parent coming in then saying that you're harassing and bullying my child, you're victimising yeah, well, my you child, you're embarrassing fine, my child in front of the other yeah. kids. Right, take your choice. Yeah, and what's wrong with that? Because the choice is bold. All right. The choice well, is bold, yeah, well, right? You know. if, that, if, it comes, if it comes to it, take your choice out of school. Ah, yeah, but right? no, no teacher would want to do any of that. Like, they just, they, I know, they, I know, they'd want a happy life. Is it going to come to that need? Who knows? Let me get some more calls on it. Thank you both. Thank you, John. Thank you, Jerry. Text 0868104106 on this, lads. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. We'll come back after the break. Hold on there. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818104106. Red FM. Lads, who owns St. Vincent's? Uh, somebody text me on that. Who actually owns the building and all of the land and the property? And what's going to happen with it if the uh, students move to North Pres? Will it be sold? What it will be sold for? And indeed, who will get the profits of the sale? Text 0868104106. Somebody suggesting the only way to deal with these people, as in greedy people, is for every student for St. Vincent's to refuse to go to the North Press and just continue to turn up for school. That's an interesting one. That may well happen if the protest gets ratcheted up. On our health system being a shambles, that's the thoughts of Mike, our health system is a shambles. Our nurses are going abroad and it's the government's fault. There is no incentive for them to stay here. I know loads that have gone abroad and I don't blame them nurses. My 80-year-old auntie was an A&E two weeks ago and had to wait over 30 hours 
uh, to get a bed after she had a very bad stroke. It's our elderly that are being treated. Well, everybody, I suppose, but our elderly should not be treated in this way. Uh, meanwhile, Tracy, good morning. Hi, good morning, Neil. Uh, thank, How are you? thank you for holding. I just wanted to give you an opportunity to make the point yourself, so go ahead. So basically, uh, a friend of mine, her household, uh, herself, her husband and the children, they all tested positive for COVID. So um, they all isolated like you do and everyone dropped off shopping and stuff like that to the door and you ran away to know you're still afraid of COVID. Yeah. Was this recently? Like uh, yeah, at the weekend. Oh, um, right. We're back to isolation and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So basically, uh, they all tested positive last Wednesday. And on the Saturday, her youngest child was quite sick. So she rang um, CUH and um, she just explained to them that she couldn't get the child's temperature down. Calpol, Norfin, none of them were working, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so they did a consultation with her. And I think with South Dock, then she had a Zoom consultation. So they saw the, the child's mouth and stuff like that. So the child needed to be seen by the hospital. So she arrived up on this Saturday at tea time to CUH. Yeah. Um, she was met at the door and given um, a gown, a protective gown and a mask, um, and just sat in a the room then with everyone that was there with injuries and sicknesses. And she wasn't put in no isolation cube. She was just sat in a room with everybody. Okay, but she, had, she did have a mask on. She did have a gown on. She did have a mask and a gown. But I mean, like Neil, what good is a mask and a gown? Was it, you know what I mean? Yeah, I know. Well, certainly with our hands, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know, like you're using the same toilet, like when COVID first came out, like if you heard COVID, you ran, you wouldn't even open your. T- well, that's the way we were towards it. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. you heard COVID, you think you were going to die and stuff like that. But I mean, for a hospital and to be sat in a room with young children, old people, people that had accidents, stuff like that. But uh, I said. So she was she and the child both did the child have COVID as well. Yes. Okay. So she and did the child have got, what? What happened with the child? Was there a mask on the child or what? No, no mask on the child. And there was elderly the people in the same area. Yeah, and there was other babies and sick children and stuff like that. No, you could tell a mile off that she would have been a COVID positive because the gown and the mask on her. Like if you're sitting in a room and you're the only one with a gown and a mask. I mean, if if I was an elderly person or I was there with an elderly father or mother, I'd be a bit freaked out about that. Well, I would be the same, but I said to her, I said, you know, was anyone alarmed? She goes, no. It was like we were just sitting there with everyone else. Everyone was chatting and laughing and joking. And they clearly knew that she, they were both positive well, because they put a gown and a mask on her, but not correct. on the child, she obviously. Was, correct. She was met at the door to be brought in. But she thought when she was brought in, she was going to be brought into a cubicle or a room by herself. You know, Like when COVID first came out, everything was uh, like rush you right. here or rush you there. Yeah, did she at, at any stage say to anybody, listen, you shouldn't have me in here. Like there's elderly people, very elderly people who have a lot of health issues and immunocompromised and I don't want it to be around the them. Small children and new babies a few weeks old and stuff. She did a course and they said they had nowhere else to put her. And when she was leaving, she said... But that sure, somebody was... who was very old could have contracted it and died. But I mean, I mean, Neil, that's the point I'm trying to get across. Like... I know myself at the start of COVID because I had a daughter that was suffering with migraines and we ended up in CUH and it was like maybe a year into COVID but we were going from head to toe going in because germs and bacteria not getting on any instruments in there and stuff like that. No, they were snowed under and they do amazing work up there. Everybody from the cleaning staff to the doctors to the nurses, like it's not their fault, Neil. 
Mm. It's not the hospital's fault. Mm. There's only so much they can do. It's a dangerous thing to do, though. It's a very dangerous thing. Oh, it's very dangerous. It's like having an opening womb and just uh, not not caring or cleaning cleaning it and letting it get infected. And well, it's it's those that are around her. I mean, like like she didn't want to be there, but she had a very sick child and she'd nowhere else to go with her sick child. Do you know what I mean? She didn't have to be put in this room with other vulnerable people. And you've made the point very well. It's an alarming point, but just ultimately. What treatment did they get then with for the child? Did it actually make any difference the visit in the first place? Uh, what they did, yes, the 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 child was sort of dehydrated because the child couldn't keep atting down, so they put the child on a drip for ah, two right, hours. Okay, okay. Yeah, okay, and okay. gave um, antibiotics, okay, and um, okay, the okay. child is doing much better now. Good point, well made. Thank you for that, Tracy. Take care. My friend is out in Australia for years. Uh, her job, uh, nine to five. This is nursing. Nine to five, no long shifts because that's illegal, and they get super tax breaks. My friend lives in a rural area of Australia. They get their electricity bill discounted, and they get a special one-month holiday outside of the regular holidays so that they can come home. That's the special one-month extra. They get special mortgage rates as public servants. So it's just overall a better quality of life for nurses abroad. Better pay and lots more besides. They feel very valued, says Jean by text to 0868 104. Uh, 106. Uh, regarding uh, the nurse that was on air yesterday morning, I was in A&E a number of months ago for 23 hours before I saw a single doctor and I was also told by a nurse that there was only one doctor on anyway. So it's either not true or it's something the nurses are just saying to people when they are fed up waiting. No, I, I don't think nurses make it up. I think there are more and more nurses now who are really just telling the truth because they want people to know how bad it actually is. For that and lots more besides, back after 11. 104 to 106 Red FM This is the Neil Frienderville Show Says uh, coming to the city from Kantark every morning It took 1 hour and 30 minutes to travel 30 kilometres The traffic from Blackpool to McCurtain Street is beyond crazy I never see council staff or guardie out And the traffic has been that bad for ages There's no bus or train that I can get I'd be in Port Leash from Cork in the same space of time If I was travelling up to Dublin uh, something has to be done. All I hear when I ring the council is bus connects, but that's useless for me and many others who need to be on time for work in the morning. Can't come on air as I'm late for work already and this is a daily event. Yes, traffic goes from bad uh, to worse. Apparently there's a walk on a section of the McCroom bypass at the weekend before it actually opens. Remember the days way back along when just before the tunnel opened you could go for it. There was a weekend walk through the tunnel. I think lots of people were doing it for charity and everything. So the McCroom bypass, something similar the weekend before it opens. A lot of response to Nadim on the air. Uh, if he thinks he's in prison now in the direct provision centre, tell him to go back home and he'll be free Uh, he'll hold out for a free house I have family members who were on the housing list and taken off it because they were earning too much yet they can still yet they still continue to struggle it's a joke of a country that people coming in here seeking refuge uh, giving leave to remain and then looking for housing Uh, look after your own first Uh, I work in the Kinsale Road accommodation Um, you are just hearing a poor me act well he is giving statistics that are true regardless regarding vacant properties. He's here now. He can stay here. He's working here. He is entitled now to have an opinion. Everyone is entitled to an opinion anyway. But he now has skin in the game of Ireland because he's working here. The problem, as usual, is why good old Ireland is always the first stop. Um, uh, da, da, one or two more. Uh, according to his words, he's living in a prison in direct provision. He has a bed and food, which he's not paying for. 
He is working. Well done. Now he is telling Neil how our system should work. We all know in this country that the system is broken. Rather than telling us how we run our system, tell him thousands are homeless and it will be many years before any of them are ever sorted out. And many people questioning how uh, Ireland can be the first port of call on a flight from India. Uh, you need to push back against that. Um, there is, is there a single Irish man, woman or child in the country who gets as much political and media attention as Nadim? For a rejected asylum seeker who skipped breakfast for a few days, he's never off the airways and has face-to-face meetings with politicians ranging from Lord Mayors to the Taoiseach and everything in between. Your final remarks to him were portentous because he is most definitely being exploited for politics next, says Richie. Well, wouldn't be anything wrong with that if he decided to go into local politics. Some people are saying he's taken the mick. You leave your country for fear of your life. Fine. Fair enough. You're allowed to stay, not happy with the food, not happy with the accommodation. Come on, like. And that's the selection of text to 0868 104 106. Now, um, my apologies to Sandy. I'll come to you in a few minutes' time. But I did mention um, the grief that bus drivers put up with more than ever. And I had an email earlier on from a bus driver who catalogued the types of abuse, including spitting being spat at. Um, I'm writing this email after an experience on the 215 bus which was heading to Cork City on Wednesday at 7.40pm. I am a Blarney resident. As I approached the bus stop opposite the Blarney filling station, there was a gang of teens ranging from about 13 to 16 years of age standing near the stop waiting to get on the bus. There was at least 15 of them. As we were waiting for the bus, a Garda car pulled up and spoke to the group of girls and boys because there were reports of antisocial behaviour behaviour from concerned business area owners in the area. Anyway, when the bus arrived, everyone boarded the bus, including one of the guardee. The guardo rode with us one stop until we reached Killeen's when he got off. He had concerns about the social nature of the teens and wanted to make sure they didn't cause trouble on the bus. In fairness to him. Uh, I had thought that that would be the end of the drama for one evening, but I wasn't prepared for what was to come. As the bus arrived at Brown Thomas, the driver switch shifts. The new driver was informed of the incident with the teens uh, and started to allow new passengers on board. One man, man A, who got on the bus seemed to be rather intoxicated. I'm unsure whether he was under the influence of drugs or alcohol, but quite, uh, quite honestly, it could have been both. Man A, in question, sat behind me. There was another man, man B, sitting at the stop. Frequently seen this man in the city, he seems to be not well mentally and maybe was also intoxicated. Uh, I've seen man B being unsocial at times, shouting in the streets, and I feel as though he may be recognised by many city goers. Anyway, man A knocked loudly on the window to alert man B to board the bus. Man B attempted to do so. The driver insisted that the man was not being allowed on board as he wasn't paying a fare. So man B argued, but in the end, settled. An elderly man went to board the bus saying he himself had a companion pass and could allow man B on board with him. The driver refused and the elderly man began shouting abuse at the driver because he had an accent and didn't seem to be native Irish. The elderly man roared abuse at this driver, telling him that maybe where he comes from, they don't allow people to board a bus, but it won't be stood for in this country. This was very racial, very abusive to the driver. In the end, the driver closed the door, left the two men behind. Myself and Man A were the last remaining downstairs and both of us were exiting the bus at Grand Parade. Upon exiting, Man A 
was in front of me, attempted to fist bump the driver upon exiting. The driver refused contact with him, but yet man A refused to leave until the driver returned the fist bump. I was stuck behind them for a couple of minutes until the driver eventually gave in, obviously uncomfortable. I feel terrible that I didn't interject and defend the driver, but as a young woman I was too frightened to attempt to defend myself amongst three different men. The antisocial antics and the discrimination in this city has reached an all-time low. This entire experience happened within about 30 minutes, just 30 minutes of a bus ride. Regarding the teens, do their parents not even know where their kids are and what they are really getting up to? Are we really that discriminating in this country that you would racially abuse a bus driver? Many Irish in this country are on the dole, where the driver's a working man. And before anyone says they're stealing our jobs, I know many people just don't want to work because it's easy money for them not to. The Irish were discriminated for many years with the no dogs, no blacks and no Irish. Have we really not outgrown these old-fashioned ideas of immigrants that they're unworthy people? Should we not be glad to live in such a diverse community with a growing culture every day? Many of our Irish natives have emigrated over the years. Should they be subjected to the same treatment abroad? I was shocked and continue to be shocked in what our city and country has become. And that by email. So that's another example of what bus drivers have to put up with. They're just supposed to drive you safely from A to B, but they got all this other stuff going on. Text 0868104106. But there is um, some good news out there. And I gave you a list of very kind-hearted, generous things that happen on side on a daily basis. I started the programme with half a dozen of them. Uh, I have another one for you now. It's a lovely story. I just want to share it with you because it shows how kind people can be. Sandy, good morning. Good morning. How are you? And thank you for holding. Now, um, you uh, volunteer for St. Vincent de Paul in McCroom, right? Well, no. That, that's, that's a bit of a false information there. Now, what I, well, initially what I did is I'm a nurse inside the CUH. And I was talking to my aide on um, Liam one night. I was working over in the COVID department and it was all care of the elderly that, that were coming in, you know, with, um, you know, really bad breathing problems. They were all testing um, positive for COVID. You know, they were, um, they were coming in with hyper, hyper, hypothermic from their homes. They were after having falls. So... I went home the following morning and I sat at my kitchen table and I said, you know, I said, there must be something I can do about this. Because Liam was saying, you know, Liam was saying it's going to be very, very sad, sad winter that the elderly people won't have the the price of a bag of coal, you know, to light their fire. Who was saying that to you? Um, the the, man, the manager in the accident and emergency. Right. He's my line manager. Yes. Okay. Okay. He, he, okay. Like he was saying, like you know, if they you, we would just say that they don't have very much money. You know, some some of the people out there and, and the cost of everything's it, gone up. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And the cost of everything has gone up. Correct. Yeah. 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 So um, you know, like it broke my heart to hear it. It really did. Like, and I was saying, my God, I said this is something awful. So, so would, it be, would it be a case that, say, an elderly person would fall, nobody would know they had fallen in the house and they'd be on the ground through the day yeah. or the night, frozen with the cold overnight and things like that. Yeah. They're coming to the A&E then, hypothermic from the cold. Yeah, exactly. Well, we had a case. I was working down in the COVID ward last night. Now, they was 30, 
33 COVID positive patient, patients down there and there was a sister and brother were brought in um, from a, a house. I won't, I no, won't say I where, 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 where yeah. they came from. Yeah. But the two of them um, were, had hypothermia and the two of them <clears throat> had falls to the ground. And So they couldn't the, help each other, is it? They couldn't help each other. No, they couldn't help each other because the brother, like he, he was the worst. Like he ended up in the ICU where oh. she was down with us, you know. Oh and God. she was, and she was his carer. You get me? I do. Yeah, that's yeah. awfully sad. And thankfully, oh. somebody came upon them, though. Exactly. A neighbor, a neighbor just called on, and you know she was getting no answer to the door, and she went around the windows, and she was looking in, and she saw the two of them on the I ground. I know. I know. They come in. Were they positive as well? Did you say? Oh yes, yeah. Okay. They were all well, the thirty-two that we had. Now we're all positive. All right. last Okay. Week. So you have a lot of work to do. Then one is the whole issue of COVID, and the other is to get their temperature up to get them warm again. To get them warm, to get them warm. Well, we have we have lovely space blankets and, you know, to get the heat up, you know, to bring the heat up on them. It's lovely to hear stories like this. It really and truly is because it puts oh, a face to our health service really at a time I of crisis, you know, you know. It's heartbreaking. It's absolutely heartbreaking what's going on. And like we're at starting very early because like this really, really bad cold spells you know, they're not, you know, they're they're out there, but they're not, not you know, yet. very, very no, bad at the no, moment. No, yeah. so you're expecting it to get an awful lot busier, aren't you? Oh, Neil, um, tenfold. I know, Definitely. I know. How are you coping, end. though? Like, that's the thing, because, you know, it's, there's just not enough staff and the facilities are just crowded all of the time. I know it's a busy, like CUH, it's a busy, busy hospital. But you know, we, we're getting an, we're getting a lot of agency nurses coming in I now, and, and, yeah. and you know, we seem to be, we seem to be getting you know proper numbers. I know, but people go on getting. about the waiting times and stuff like that, and sitting on chairs and lying on trolleys, and we're not even into the winter yet, and nurses emigrating to Australia and. Not enough yeah. doctors on shift and all this awful, you know. I know. Well, you see, they they had to give they had to get away with all with all the trolleys. They, the way the trolleys were, you know, we're going back maybe four or five years ago. They used to go all the way up the department over, nearly over to the coffee dock. But when COVID came in, they had to close all these doors. I know. Oh, they didn't have room for these trolleys. I know. The trolleys are back now and there's lots of them. Anyway, listen, continued, continued, you know, best wishes with regards to your work within the A&E. But you wanted to make a difference then when you heard of these stories and witnessed the elderly people literally coming in frozen with the cold, right? Yeah, indeed yeah. I did. Yeah, yeah. And 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 all I did, like, you know, I just put a post up on my McCroom um, notice board and I just said, if there's anybody out there who'd like to donate um, kindling blocks, um, coal, if you have it, you know, it would be very much appreciated. It's going, it's going to be split in two. Um, one half is going to the St. Vincent de Paul with the St. Vincent de Paul elderly. And the other is going to the senior citizens in McCroom. Yes, so specifically for the elderly. Okay. Oh, and yes. did you get oh, many yes. people coming back offering help? 
I did. I did indeed. Um, two days later, um, there was a huge, gigantic <laughs> landed outside my front door. A palace, was it? it? No, it was all like, um, it sort of reminded you of a big skip kind of a thing. No, it wasn't a palace. Definitely not a palace. I know, but it, was, it looked, it, it was stacked one on top of the other and kind of very... Uh, in a very safe manner, like a huge big cube of wood kindling yes. blocks, <laughs> massive <Yes>. thing. <laughs> that's not that's what it was. But he, the man that donated it, he didn't want his name mentioned. He said that he wants to keep it quiet. And I said, that's no problem at all. We keep it quiet. So I took out, and I'll never forget it. It was a rainy, windy, horrible day on the Tuesday and I was going on night duty Tuesday night and I brought a chair out and I started putting them all into the bags and I got through to about 35 bags and Trevor did the other 15 bags. <laughs> Who's <laughs> Trevor? My, my, Trevor's my partner. <laughs> <laughs> my, back, my back was broken. I couldn't do it. You had to go to work anyway. <laughs> and I had to go into the unit exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the fire for the night <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you the following day I got straight on to um, um, a woman she's um, Phil Barry and she's in charge of um, the, the St Vincent de Paul and a lad he's, um, he's a retired guard here in town he came up and he took his lot and then my brother my brother has a shop and he has a trailer so we brought all our the rest of the stuff in the trailer down to the senior citizens hall down in McCroom. That's fantastic. But uh, but I I know who gave you the wood. Do you? Oh, hang on. No, we had two lots of wood. So know. there's a second the second one. Then tell us about the so the, the first one's anonymous. We'll never know who that was. But the second oh. the second load you got. The second load that we got we, that came on Tuesday from Timmy O'Sullivan. Have I the name right? You have the name right. Tim O'Sullivan, yeah. Kindling and Firewood. Yeah. 500 euro worth of stuff. Oh, my God. And what did he give you? He gave me, oh, my God, there must be about 100 bags of the most class-looking kindling. It's done through a machine. Yeah, that's the it's photograph I have. It's all pre-packed and everything. Packed. On a big, then, in a big massive structure to keep it all straight and packed properly. There's an, a fortune of it. Oh my God, there's so many bags there. Like it's all covered over now, so I haven't even gone to see it. But I, I hear that the wood that this man is called Ashwood. Is it Ashwood? Ash, yeah, the ash tree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Ashwood. That he's Ashwood is is absolutely fantastic. And they're like, if anybody buys his Ashwood, they would okay. they would never go to another supplier. All right. So I know, yeah. I think Cork Bio were talking to Tim and he said, uh, I'm going to help out someone less off than myself. That's the type of person I am. I came from nothing. I saw, I saw my parents go week to week to provide for us. So the donation yeah. is from my heart because there are genuine people suffering. Isn't that lovely? He is the most humble guy, Neil you would ever in your your life meet. Well done, yeah. He's got a heart of gold, and I mean that. I mean that. And I've, I mean, I've met a lot of people going through my life, and um, 
he's got a big, big heart. Well, fair play to him. And I'm delighted of the opportunity to let, let you tell the story. Are you still looking for more help? Well, yes, indeed we are. We are. I mean, anything that comes, you know, we 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 keep spreading. We keep, you know, spreading it along. Yeah, it's not you know, as if I mean, you have enough to be doing, but fair play to you. <laughs> like it's for McCroom and, and the surrounding areas. Like I it's such a McCroom town. Yeah, and you of know, course this all started because you were actually treating elderly people who were coming into yeah. a hospital with hypothermia, literally frozen with the cold. So it's a wonderful way of helping. If people want to donate fuel to you, how can they go about it? You mean coal, is it? Well, I mean... Whatever you need, you need coal. You probably need wood. You might need briquettes. I don't know, kindling. Logs. Oh yeah, oh yeah. All they have to do is, is tag me and get onto me bags of coal, and um, or whatever, whatever we take, whatever we want. Because a few people did message me, you know, saying that you know could we donate money, but I'm I'm not going down that road to draw all I know, I know, I know. No, I think no, you're making a big difference as it is. So how can they actually get yeah. in touch with you? They can they can just send me an email. I'm actually getting loads already this morning. They can just send me uh and you know and PM me a message on through Facebook. And there's one lady now. I got back to her and I said, "Don't you worry, we'll get back to you." All right. Okay. So I'll tell you what I do. I'll put you back on hold, and you can give the lads all of the different contacts, the ways to contact you, and I get those on air. All right. No bother at all. Okay, okay. Let's just do that and we'll do that in the next few minutes if anyone else gets in touch with you. Uh, lovely chatting with you, Sandy. Thank you so much for taking the call. And thank you so much for talking to me, Neil. And thank good luck you. with work in the CUH across the winter because it's bound to get a lot tougher, you know? Mm-hmm. Well done on that. Mind mm-hmm. yourself. Take care. Right. Take care. All right, hold on there. Thank you. Let off. me get the details and I'll get them on air after the break. Hold on there. Prendeville Show. Gold winner for Interactive Speech Program at the Imro Radio Awards 2022. Corks Red FM. Hi guys. Neil's five-star giveaway. With Sound Store celebrating the opening of their new electrical superstore at Market Green Retail Park, Middleton. Okay, we know at this stage now that two of the five have been guessed. I can't tell you which two. There are five in total in your opportunity to win a massive 10,000 euro worth of electricals from um, Sound Store at their superstore at Market Green Retail Park in Middleton. So every new voice that's identified for the first time That person who identifies a new voice gets a 100 euro voucher, but whomever can identify all five of them. And very important for me to say this, in the correct order, in the correct order, wins 10,000 euro in cash. Now, let's stop this for a while here. This is uh, what happened yesterday, right? I love Cork. Red FM. I love Cork's Red FM, but who are they? Dolly O'Shea, Kennedy and Doyle, Laura Whitmore, Brendan Gleeson. I have good news for you. You got one. <laughs> you got one, which Super. means that by getting one, one of those five guesses is correct. Doesn't entitle you to 10 grand, but it, it does entitle you to a 100 euro voucher, all right? For one Super. voice, correct. Fantastic. Take Thank care. You. Well done, Karen. And then after that, another caller came on and identified a second voice. I can't tell you what they are. You need to just try and work out all five in the correct order. So here they are, right? These are the five voices. I love Cork. Right. FM. Okay. 
Lines are open now. I'm booking in calls now for your opportunity to have a guess. 0818-104-106. Get all five of them. I'll give you 10 grand and you can then go shop in Soundstore Market Green Retail Park in Middleton. And we're talking about everything and anything you could need um, that needs, well, I suppose by and large, that needs plugging in in the house. So you're looking at built-in kitchens and all of the appliances and uh, the televisions, laptops, tablets. We're looking at, they've got an incredible induction hob down. You know the induction hobs that are very, very fast. You've got the hobs that are induction and they heat really quickly. Uh, but you know the big overhead hob that you'd usually have on top of the, you know, the cooker on top of the, you know, the extractor fan on top of the hob. There's a new, um, they've moved on now very much. I don't know whether it's Neff are doing it and others are doing it, but one of them is an induction hob with a built-in filter on the hob. So you've got the hob with all of the rings and right in the middle of it, you've got this section that is a filter that just does a deep dive right down into the middle of the hob and it extracts all of the air and all of the stuff, literally hoovers it all up down in through this vent it's all cleaned and filtered then within, with, I know, it's, I think I'm talking about something like a, a sports car or something, but it's all filtered and cleaned inside in the actual body of the, of the oven. And then it comes out into the kitchen as clean air. I mean, it's absolutely incredible. There's no need now for an overhead extractor fan anymore. You've got the Robovacs, which are fantastic little things. They're like little you know, things from Star Wars and they just bounce around the room doing the, the vacuuming for you. You got the Dysons and the Sharks and the coffee machine. So you'd easily fill, if you had a trolley big enough, 10,000 euro worth from Sound Store at Market Green Retail Park. So we'll be opening the phone lines now, booking in guesses, and then we'll have a lash of the music to identify these five voices. I love Corks. All right, so that's in about uh, 10 or 12 minutes' time. Meanwhile, just on buses, not to do with bus drivers, just but buses, um, because you know everybody, there was all of a sudden you were entitled to a free bus place, but of course there was never enough to go around, so you got a lot of people then have kids not able to get on the school buses. Um, and it's not necessarily off-topic, but it is interesting, it's a quick one, from somebody who says uh, it's very relevant now at this time of the year. I'm seeing quite a few kids in my son's school in Carrigaline getting dropped to and from school by their parents and only using the school bus maybe one afternoon a week whilst having the school bus ticket. It's extremely unfair on other families because some families are under pressure getting their kids to school every day and can't get one of the valid tickets because of the lack of places. Surely there should be a record of names using the service properly and the families of those who obviously abuse it and don't need it should be booted off. So that's unfortunate that those that manage to snaffle tickets don't use them all of the time and only from time to time, which is very, very unfair. All right, I think we'll just have a blast, lads, and see how we get on with it. All right, Neil's five stars. Let me just get this in here, sort myself out, and I will be good to go in a couple of seconds' time. I had intended to wait a while, but the phone lines have gone mad for guesses. Hang on. Neil's five-star giveaway. With Sound Store, celebrating the opening of their new electrical superstore at Market Green Retail Park, Middleton. Okay, uh, Neil. Hi, Neil. Her plate, your girl. Now, five. In, it's very important now, in the right order, okay? So I'm going to give an opportunity here again. Have a listen to this. I love Corks. Right. FM. Off you go. Uh, Michael D. Higgins, J.K. Rowling, Gay Byrne, Laura Whitmore and Neil Lauren. You got two out of five. Okay. You probably have an idea at this stage what the two are, but I can't yeah. say any more than that. So get me the other three at some stage. I'll give you ten grand, all right? All right, thanks. Well done, Neil and Holly Hill. Richie's in Middleton. Richie. Hi, Neil. How's it going? I'm good, my man. Have a listen to this. I love Corks. Right. FM. All five, right order, ten grand. 
Sigrid, Elton John, Chris Eubank, Laura Whitmore, Brendan Gleeson. Unfortunately, you only got the one. Perfect. Thanks, Bill. Keep on trying, though. Appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks for taking the call. What have I got here? Uh, Amina in the lock. Amina, good morning. Hi, nice. I give everybody a chance Hello? to hear it. Have a listen. I love Cork. Right. FM. Neil's five-star giveaway for €10,000 for us in Soundstore. What do you think? I think uh, number one is Johnny O'Shea. Uh, number two is Laura Whitmore. Uh, number three is Nigella Lawson. Number four is Niall Horan. And number five is Paul Meskell. Two, girl. Two. <gasps> the oh. same two oh, okay. keep getting guessed correctly. But the okay, others... Thanks, All right, try again soon. Thanks for that. All right, be, okay, well, I'll tell you what, another blast of them will be about 10 minutes' time. I'll come back to it in 10 minutes' time. And we'll give you another opportunity to have a go. Neil's five stars. These are the five voices very important that they're in the correct order to be absolutely honest with you I don't want a scenario where somebody gets all five right and gets them in the wrong order I love Corks right FM so I will come back to that I promise you between now and midday back to the phone lines I go for now though to John Paul Ricken it's been a little while since we last spoke to him so I want to welcome back to the programme again John Paul good morning can you hear me alright John okay, go on Neil sorry pal I am um, kept you waiting there for a little while and I apologise for it. We were, I, was ta- I was talking to you some time back because I know we're coming up to the first anniversary soon of Susan's passing, aren't we? That's right, uh, um, it's the 19th of November, Saturday week. And just to revisit that tragic story involving the loss of your beautiful wife and indeed mother to Leo and Lucy, you guys had gone to Australia, hadn't you? Yeah, we went to, uh, we moved in 2011, so we went to Port in Western Australia. So isn't from Farron uh, Rhee, wasn't she, and you're, you're Knock Nahili lad? I am, yeah, I'm yeah. from Mark Holland, um, I'm living in Grand now, but Susan's from Farron Rhee, yeah, she walked in Brown Thomas, she was a makeup artist. And oh my God. I walked, I walked in um, the Marine and Commercial Park, I was, uh, walked in a spray paint and workshop, yeah. with, with the downtown then, um, I, we decided to go to Australia. So, in 2011, things were not, we were not in good shape in this country. Did you, had you, were Leo and Lucy born then? Or were they born no, in Australia? No, they're actually they born in Australia. They're actually Australian citizens. Um, but yeah, no, the, the, the economy wasn't great in 2011. I, I lost my job, went from five days, three days, two days, to one day, and then I found where I was on the door then after that. So, I was 26 years old, and I just, you know, no more, no job, no no aspirations. So I asked Susan, "Would we give Australia a go?" And we did. How did it work out initially? Well, we went originally. We went to plan was to go for twelve months, so we applied for twelve months visa, and we went. And Susan said we'd do a year because she's a bit of a home bird, and same as me, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. true and true. And yeah. so we went out, and we just fell in love with us. We fell in love with the place. We just. Just got better and better. We just loved the climate, the weather, made brilliant friends. And before we knew it, we were there four years. And, and did you continue with your trade there? And did Lu- did Susan pick up a job and everything? She did. Um, she did, when you got to Australia, like you can dabble in every everything, all different jobs, and just a lot more um, opportunities for the outside. But she settled on uh, Montessori school teacher, yeah. and I was uh, I just fell back into the same line that I did here. Yeah, yeah. The spray painting. And um, is yeah, as much about the quality of life, is it as 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 much as the wages and things like that? 
Oh, it's just, just the quality the quality of life is, yeah, the weather is number one, obviously, and uh, it's just a new challenge, you know, you know, you guess, when you're, you know, you can live in Cork all your life, but yeah. we went home, we, we, we gave it a shot. And, it was, and what about getting a home then and a roof over your heads, particularly when, when Leo and Lucy came along? I mean, was, was that easy? Was it affordable? Um, sure, well, for people, a lot of the Irish go there, you're in, in the rental market, like house prices over there are pretty uh, astronomical, like to be a lot, lot uh, more expensive than Ireland at the time when we went anywhere. Of course, you know, you rent, you'd rent, and with two jobs, you could you'd afford the rent, yeah. you might spend three, four hundred dollars a week. Um, yeah. but, uh, but we came home to get married in 2016. Yeah, and we went. We went. We went back out then, and Leo was born in 2019. Um, and then we came back then for Christmas time, 2019. We got him christened in Fernry Church. Mm. Um, and then we went back, and we were pregnant again with Lucy in last year, last March, 2021. And um, yeah, it was, everything was good. With two children, made the family that we wanted. We were living our dreams over, and then just in October, then one night she heard a scream from the bedroom. She was putting Lucy down, and I went in to check on her, and she was just on the ground, just collapsing, couldn't get up, and I was like, "What's wrong?" And she couldn't even tell me. So we had to get up to the hospital, and pains in the stomach, wasn't it? Originally, pains in the yeah, stomach. Yeah, she was holding towards the appendix area, you know. The, yeah, the you were saying she was putting Lucy to hold. Was Lucy at the time? So she was seven months, seven and a half months old. God, um, so she went in. They thought it was appendicitis, I suppose. Was appendicitis, it? but that's well. Well, she I rang her that night, so I stayed home with the children, and one of our friends brought her up, and she rang me. She goes, "Yeah, she goes, I'm just in a lot of pain, but she goes, like, I'd give me something now, and like, probably it could be the appendix, appendix." And we went up to the next day, and they were just running tests and this and that, and so we were just whatever, and then. Um, you know, just all these different nurses and specialists kept coming into the room, and they're like, and I was like, uh, "What's going on?" And no answers. Like we're still doing CT scans, we're doing this, we're doing that. She was getting savage pains in her chest, and her left arm was like three, four times the size of a normal hand. So it was like a big, a big lump under her arm yeah. there, and so we didn't know what was going on. Like, and uh, I remember on the Friday we were grand. I went off, and I went. I was going. I went for a day with my two friends, and she was quite content. And the next thing she rang me on a messenger, and they could just tell by her face there was something up. And she goes, Some things have just drastically changed in the last couple of minutes, and uh, they're prepping me for emergency surgery. So I had to get the kids organized to pick up from daycare, and I flew up to the hospital. But when I got there, the hospitals in Australia, like, did they stop? The closing time is at like 8 o'clock. But when I got there, she was in theatre, so I couldn't go in. And then at 8 o'clock, they shut down our visitors. So I was like, well, I'm a husband. So I got in eventually, but when I got there, I went up to the table, she was just lying there, whatever, and I was like, what's going on? And the nurse just goes, oh, they've just removed a, a mass from my body. I goes, can you elaborate? And she goes, that's, you need to speak to a doctor. You, uh, I can't tell any more than that. And uh, so that's all I knew. I had to go home with that. I had to remove the mass from her. No, like a mass is a tumour, but at the time, could have been anything in my head. I was still thinking they took our appendix out. Of course, because um, yeah, you were still living with the period, okay, it's appendicitis and it's fine and, yeah. you know, they're going to operate for that's that or whatever. That's she was, and we went in and uh, the following morning I went in and uh, I was just talking to her. She was still a bit, a bit older than 
uh, the, the oncologist came in. Um, well, I didn't know she was an oncologist. I'm an oncologist as a cancer doctor, but I didn't know she was what well, an oncologist was at that point. And she just came in and she said, um, we removed a tumor from her, from her bowl and um, she's going to die. That's basically the word she said, she's going to die. Did she say that? They were the exact words come over my mouth and I was kind of, as can excuse me? So I pulled the curtain back and like, can I talk to you outside? I says, what did you, what did you say? And there he goes. The curtain was, was loose, was, was Susan in the bed when she said that? Yeah, she was in the bed. But she did she hear like, that? She heard it, yeah. But she, she was like still coming around like from the operation, like so she was still kind of this... Like, not fully there, like, but um, she heard it, and then we kind of looked at each other, two of us, and we were like, what? Um, that's incredulous that that's the way you would yeah, have Yeah, and then I looked, I was told, what do you mean, like? And she was like, oh, yeah, we we found, um, I goes, yeah, but I thought you removed it. Uh, it we already removed a little bit, but it's after spreading everywhere. So, like, and I was like, okay, so... We were just dealing with then different specialists and just different doctors, and we were just trying to trying to come to terms with it, like and see what was going on. And you no, know, I was asking how long do I have? Do I have days? Do I have weeks? Do I have years? And they just couldn't give me an answer. We do more tests. We do more tests. We do more tests. And I, she was in for two weeks, and I got to bring her home. But I even knew after two weeks when I got her home that she was deteriorating day by day, and I had to become her home nurse then, right? Uh, Medicare or look after or you know so I was on full time care like she couldn't shower alone she couldn't go to bed alone she couldn't get up alone and uh, she was just getting worse and worse and worse and then we went uh, to talk about chemo but I knew it like she was in the wheelchair and I knew she was like the chemo would have killed her she had the energy and uh, like all the other women walking around yeah they you know they had their beanies on and they'd lost their hair, but they were walking around like like normal, like normal yeah. people. Susan, I was yeah. pushing Susan in the wheelchair, and I yeah. knew what she was. That was the Wednesday, and then I just said it to the hood when the nurse came in, I was just like, what do you reckon? Like, and she was like, yeah, she goes, she's not, she won't be able for it. So I made a decision then to bring her to the hospice, uh, to the hospital, like Mary Monk, I suppose, and I brought her up on the Wednesday, and she died on the Friday. So from from when she from when she went into the hospital, she was dead within four weeks. Four weeks at the age of thirty five. Thirty five, yeah, and she was never sick. The only time she was in the hospital was for the two for the two babies. That was it. And do you mind me asking? In that period of those weeks, did you and Susan talk to each other about what was happening and what was going to happen? We didn't because, like. Like a lot of people say to me, oh, like, um, did you make a will and all this? Says, Who makes a will at 35? No, not, not that, but like, just talk about like, your life together, of, your times together, um, the future with the children, you know. We didn't really, I suppose, looking back in it, like it was more of like shock. Susan, like so shocking. Yeah, on my part, shock, but Susan was the most positive person in the world and I used to slag her back in the day, like, you know, she'd be saying, like, you know, if you want to win the lottery, you better believe it. If you don't believe it, you're not going to win it. It's like, well, actually, yeah. good. And then, so she was positive, positive, positive. So even though we got told that, she refused to get herself down and she refused. She was like, no, we, you know, there's options. We'll beat it. We'll beat it. Like, you know? And uh, so we kind of, we were just, 
before I was up and down for the children, I had the children, and then I had to go back up to the hospital, so I was just juggling everything, just looking after her. We, we didn't really, we didn't get much chance, really, Neil, yeah. like four weeks. And she got so sick, so, so fast. Well, she um, was positive that she'd beat it. You were dealing with minding her, being her carer, making sure she was comfortable, that all the things were right. That was it. There was, yeah. there was no, we, like, we didn't get, I got no time to talk to her. Like, all, like, all I know, all I got out of her was, when she was dying, and I knew she was dying, like, but when she was dying, and I just asked her, so what do you want me to do? Like, do you want me to go home, or do you want me to stay in Australia? And she goes, no, bring the babies home, like, you know. So that was, that was only, and I asked her then, like, does she want to be cremated or buried or whatever? And she wanted to be cremated. So oh, they were the only two things. Awful they, conversations to have, John Paul. Yeah, uh, they were the only two things I got out of her, and, uh, yeah, so I got her cremated then on the 5th of December and um, I brought her home in January, then the end of January because I'd saw it to, to raise the whole life in Australia before I came back to Cork. Yeah, like, yeah. and of so course much. you also had family and friends here in Cork aware of what oh, you were going through in Australia. Everyone, yes. Uh, her parents managed to get out. Um, there was a clad, so she has another Irish charity foundation in Australia, and they help the Irish families in 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 strife, and then you know, and they got out on the flights. For sure, it was COVID, so they had to quarantine for two weeks. Okay. And then then it's two when she was sick. Then it's two. She died three days after they got out of quarantine. Oh dear me! And how's life so, been since she came home with the kids? Um. Like it's yeah, like the kids are good. The kids are good. Like they have, they have, uh, they have their nannas and their grandas and their aunts and uncles. Um, personally, for me, like, like I'm living now with Susan's parents. You know, um, I live upstairs in their house. Like I've, I lost all my independence. Like I lost, I lost my life. Like really over there. So it's, it's tough. Lost your Even wife and lost your wife. Lost my wife. Like even though I'm a cock man. All my life, and I moved when I was 26. I came back. It's very hard to kind of uh, readjust and go again, like you know. Mm. Um, mm. So I said, like, I just had to start all over again and, like, trying to get a house, trying to even get a car, set the kids up, you know, with PPS numbers, get them into daycare. So I had to raise life and set up a whole new one again. Must so be I kind of, sometimes it must be surreal. You must say, I can't, this isn't happening. Like, I haven't had a year like this. It's a, it's a nightmare. To, like her anniversary is Saturday week. It's like how I, I can't even remember last what happened in the last year. It's been like in the blink of an eye. And do you ever do you ever ponder as to why it happened? Why you? Why why Susan? Why your family? Why well, your kids? Um. Well, like when it like when it happened at the time, and I suppose a lot of people. In, when it happens to you personally, like not no one else's problems matters, it's only your problem in your head, and you're trying to like think, what is going on? How can a 35 year old mother with no real symptoms or no real uh, signs just get sick and and die like that quick? And but that's why, like I, that's why I'm like even doing this phone call and. The Susan Rickon Foundation page actually is something that people should definitely visit for sure because we need to get the age for bowel cancer screening down, don't we? I mean, Susan was 35. Big time, yeah. Big time. Like, um, so I originally started this in Australia 
before I came back um, and I started, I petitioned for the, the parliament and the government in, in Australia before I left, but I didn't have enough time in the end because uh, I had to come, um, yeah, I come home in the end. But like um, like this country, Ireland, like a bowl screen is 60 to 69. It's actually the highest in the whole world. Like America, uh, as of last year, the United States, they dropped theirs to 45. And uh, they're, they're like, I've been talking to it. There's specialists and people over there, and it's a huge, uh, huge win-win. Oh, uh, listen, 60 to 69 is way too old to be screening it's for that, and lots of other areas of the body, actually. It's I'd way too late. Way too late. And the thing is, is bowel cancer is, like, before Susan got sick, I hadn't got a clue what bowel cancer was. I had no idea what it was. And but when I started the, the Susan Rickon Foundation, and then there was just get, I was getting messages from all over the world. A lot of Irish people were reaching out to me and mm. similar stories to me, their husbands, their partners, sisters, mothers, all in their thirties. And a guy sixteen he died from it in Australia. Oh, there was another yeah. guy uh, 30, 40, Miss Wexford, Mayo, Dublin, Tralee, Cork and there's young like it's been as always said like they said the research, nine out of ten people uh that die or get bowel cancer in the sixties. That is false. That's not. A, that's not true. But even if it were true, it's too late for screening. It's, it's got to be late. much younger. It really does. It's, too, it's. It's just. It's too. It's too late altogether. And the consensus is, uh, and even my friend, my one of my best friends, he's at it and he's told me and all these other stories is, if you go into your GP or your doctor and you complain with the symptoms of bowel cancer, obviously it's fatigue, weight loss. You might have bowel movements, you might have diarrhea for weeks and weeks, and but the main one is you might have blood in your stool. And a lot of people have come back to me and saying they're being dismissed. Oh, you're too young, you're too young. No, look, it's not that. Look at Susan at 35. 35. But it's, I realised, Neil, after a while, it was, um, I'm I'm not alone. Like, it's it's not just me. There's people all over the world. Well, I would encourage people to go to Facebook and to um, join the Susan Rickon Foundation page. Um, I wish I had more time, John Paul. Unfortunately, I don't. But will you you stay because it was the wish of Susan that you should go to Ireland? Or, Or would you ever think that maybe, you know, it's just too much of a struggle here, that life is better in Australia? Does that pass through your mind? Um... Yeah, look, to be honest, I loved every minute of it. It was the best 10 years of my life. And um, the children are from there. They've got their Australian passports. So the biggest thing for me is they have options. If they ever want to go back, that part is still there for them. Yeah. But for now, like, I suppose they're in the safest place and they've got the, the most love here with the family and true. support around them, you know. That's true, so, yeah, that's true, that's true. Okay. All right. Listen, stay in touch. It's nice to catch up and uh, I want to wish you all the best of luck going forward wearing the children and with the foundation page. Um, but don't be a stranger, you know. I will. Thanks very much for your time. All right. Take care. The anniversary Thank coming up in a couple of weeks' time. We'll be thinking of you. Thank you, John Paul. Take care. John Paul Ricken on his late wife, Susan, um, and he has his foundation page on Facebook, the Susan Ricken Foundation page on Facebook. Do join, get the numbers up as high as possible, get people listening. Uh, I can talk more tomorrow about regular bloods and regular checkups being done for different parts of the body. Uh, And there's, uh, you know, it's never too young to start 
getting regular checkups, certainly on an annual basis. Anyway, more about that in the morning. My apologies for everything else. Um, I'm going to have to park it for the morning, but we'll uh, tomorrow's Friday. So we've got a lot more to do on Friday, including uh, our five stars. So you'll have loads of opportunities in the morning to, to have a guest. But for now, have a good day and I'll see you tomorrow.